You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. Everybody, this is Dominic D'Angelo. I am of Inside the Ropes primarily, but I'm also of ad-free shows and other outlets here and there. But I'm here on the Premier Streaming Network. As usual, it's episode 10. None other than Mr. Rob Van Dam. Rob, man, new new location, new frame going on here. Good to see you, brother. This is, uh, you might not know this, Dominic, but I think the real fans know that uh, this this. Special setup is because of uh, the Barbie movie premiere. Oh, <laughs> I, Katie, <laughs> Katie, and I went to um, went to the um, the Barbie movie last night. I guess it's not out yet, but it's um, there was a preview showing or something, and she was all excited about it. She loves Barbie. She's bought everything with Barbie brand on it for months. And this was supposed to be like a big party. Yeah. And there were several theaters that, that were that were showing this. And man, there was no party. There was so many disappointed girls all dressed up in pink. You know, and not even there was there was a lame like like a piece of tinfoil stapled on the wall to take a picture in front of. That was about it. <laughs> that was it. That was it, yeah. And they were advertising all these different different theaters were giving away different uh different gifts katie was showing me you know this one you get this pink corvette and it's filled with popcorn and you know and she they was, didn't have any of that shit for none of it she looked on instagram it what some of the other ones and all all of them were disappointed like uh, she found a couple had like one like i guess one of the theaters had the car but that was all they had and then somebody else had one other lame thing and that was all they had but all, all there was was a button on the way out a little tiny button that was I love, it. I love Barbie. Yeah, because I I heard like the premiere the when they had the red car- carpet, it was the pink carpet, and then they yeah, had, sure. so some of the stars like you know I know John Cena had a cameo in the movie as a merman. Yeah, and yeah. Then, it was entertaining. Yeah, you know, I was, obviously um, I dragged her to go see that with me. <laughs> right, you were. Yeah, that was on your calendar for months. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I did appreciate the uh, the story that they told and stuff, and I like that girl, uh, Margot Robbie. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I want to see her in the uh, Tanya Harding movie that they did. I haven't seen that yet. That, that's Is it out? Cool. Is it out? Oh, it's been long out. Yeah, oh, I, just, okay. I haven't seen it either. Yeah, I've been horrible with catching up on movies and stuff. But yeah, no, yeah. I think she's a great actress. And um, yeah. so the movie itself was it like tongue in cheek kind of humor, like 
would that be something like I could go see and be like, ah, I'm pretty entertained by it? Or... Well, I can't guarantee that that, yeah. you, that you can go see it, but it was, you know, yeah, like it was like it was like in a Flintstone world where the Flintstone movie was real, but you know, cartoon like, and it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of tongue in cheek uh, humor that kids wouldn't get that was more adult and uh, stuff like that, but. Yeah, I, I thought it was entertaining, and I and I liked the story they told because it was a reflection of Bobby that Barbie's actual real history, no and, the, and the controversy that comes with you know that whole thing. So I, I thought that was a cool way that they told it, and I know there was a ton of inside jokes I didn't get mm -hmm. because every Barbie or every old Ken doll or whatever, whatever had like a minimum toy run or whatever had a had a cameo that everyone else in the theater popped for, you know. And, <laughs> So I thought that was cool, too. I'm, I'm going to make an admission here. When I was like seven years old, my older sister, she had Barbies and stuff like that. And so I remember getting one Ken doll. And the Ken doll had, like, if you wet his solid hair, stars would show up in his hair. And he was like a hundred and <laughs> And he had golden sneakers and stuff like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I wonder if there's a reference to him. <laughs> I don't know. but There probably was. I don't remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> damn, but... but Ryan Gosling worked his ass off to playing Ken, you know, and I'm, I'm it, it's, it was a, you know, a bit of a musical, um, but watching the commitment that it takes as an actor, you know, to, to actually be that dramatic singing words in a musical, like it's entertaining and at the same time, you know, like admirable, like, yeah, that's a, that's a committed actor right there. You don't care how stupid he looks. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. If you had to do an adaption of a pop culture thing or of anything, a movie kind of thing, whether it was like, you know, video game or uh, I don't know, an action figure line or anything like that, what would there be something that intrigued you, or is it just like, hey, the money's right, I'll do it? Um. Well, I mean, that's that's almost true with anything. You know, yeah. the money's right. Uh, you sure. Know. <laughs> um. I don't know. I, it'd be cool to do a. Um, something um today on like in the tradition of reefer madness yeah oh nice yeah well uh, yeah it'd be interesting to um portray like the the ridiculous arguments the opposition um pulls out or keeps out for 70 years even though it's been debunked over and over again and yeah i could see uh, i could see a screenplay in that Dude, that would be great, actually. <laughs> yeah, you could do a lot of fun shit with Reefer Mad a new Reefer Madness. All right, I like it. I like it. All right, let's get to a little uh, feedback here. I There was only a couple really good – well, one's just hilarious because it's straight ass from a basic thinker. You're going to recognize it when you see it because you commented on it. <laughs> but we'll start with this one here. I, I, I wanted to talk about him a little bit more because you touched upon him a second. But, awesome. Right. Um, mm. Freedom Pictures says, Rob got me with Billy Jack. I grew up on Billy Jack, thanks to my dad. He got me and all the classics. That made me think of my dad and some good memories. That was his favorite scene from those movies. Thank you for that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Billy Jack a little more. He was a pretty big influence for you then or everything like that. And um, Yeah, like just talk about that a little bit more. I thought that was pretty cool that you made mention of him because I'm completely unaware. Well, so I, I hadn't heard of him until he was brought up as a reference for – the, the character that I would be in uh, Wrong Side of Town. So, okay. yeah, the director, oh. director slash writer slash producer, David DeFalco, um, he brought that up and said I should watch Billy Jack because he David knew me well and said that 
that'd be a good uh, a good role model or someone for me to keep in mind because he was very calm and collected like me, uh, but he was an action guy and would fight while keeping us cool. And so, you know, he, because of that, I watched, watched Billy Jack and I was like, yeah, man, this dude's really cool. It's a, like a Indian Chuck Norris. Yeah. Sweet. I'm going to look him up a little bit more too. I'm intrigued. All right. So the other feedback, I the had. famous, very famous saying that this, this is what's, what's bigger than him. And by the way, what a story this guy has, the real guy, because like he, he invested all his money into his own movie and then I think he actually rented out. It's been a while since I've read his history, but he he like uh, he he probably got a script turned down. That's usually part of the inspiration, but I I don't know for sure that happened. But he ended up uh, putting his own money in and like renting out theaters and showing his own movie. Took a huge gamble on the finances of it and had uh, lines out you know that went out around the block. And he just crushed it and made like so much money. Uh, might have made too many sequels eventually, possibly, and uh, maybe worn the brand out a, a little bit. Uh, but the very famous scene that um, is bigger than Billy Jack is when he's uh, talking to this uh, jackass, and they've reached that point, you know, where it's like, hey, you know, it's time to pick a hand, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and he just says, you know what I'm going to do? Because I'm going to put this foot right here right there on that side of your face and just you know right there and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it and then they're just like oh yeah and then he's like you know it's a great scene oh yeah all right i'm, I'm looking them up <laughs> all right so this is uh the the basic thinker feedback this was this is pretty funny when i started reading it all right so bring it 100 this is on one of your i think one of your newer ones no six days ago it said rvd has a smoker's voice he needs to stop smoking so he doesn't get lung cancer (laughs) you said thanks but it's also called a wrestler's voice not only does cannabis not cause cancer prevents it but like i'd like you to know that it has my lungs screened about a month ago just for the purpose of uh hoping that to make this point and they appear normal for a non-smoker at 52 my lungs are at least as good as yours brian and then he says I never heard of a wrestler's voice. It definitely sounds like a smoker's voice. Smoking cannabis is bad for the lungs, and it will cause cancer, not prevent it. Cannabis has more toxins in them. Tobacco in a person is inhaling longer and more intensely than cigarettes. That's why it's coughing so much after smoking it. I would have to see a report in your lung screen to see if that's even the case. Is there no way your lungs are as good as mine? Because I've never smoked any of that, and I do cardio on a regular basis. Rob, you never do cardio. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I'm sure I would uh, have a choking fit and fall on the ground if I if I even uh, stepped on a treadmill. So that's, you know, <laughs> there's so some people think that I waste time talking to um, people that are like impossible. And, and if there's if there's something that I think. Sometimes I think I can get through to them, you know. Yeah. This guy, obviously, no. This guy, obviously, there's so there's nothing to say to him. You know what I mean? His mind's made up, regardless of evidence. He knows more than I do, even though I've been studying every, you know. Anyway, um, but a lot of times because it's a public format, you know, there's um, a lot of other people that could look at it and and could learn something, you know. So so because of that. Um, I will comment on, on his comment 
And um, there was a guy named uh, the Prince of Pot, Mark Emery. He was mm -hmm. uh, he was a very high profile guy in the advocacy movement from Canada, and it was his goal to try to over flood the overpopulate the world with cannabis seeds. And um, and he was the um, he was in trouble for shipping seeds from Canada to the states. United States wanted Canada to extradite him forever and ever. Canada wasn't doing it. I met him during this period. He's a very wanted man in the United States, but he was free to roam in Canada. And we were there on a WWE tour, and I got the chance to meet him and uh, smoke with him and stuff. And he told me this, you know, which, I mean, I'm telling you the source right there. You know, I have a lot of... Uh, People that have told me stuff and, you know, I don't, um, this, this, take it for what it's worth. But it always made sense to me. He said that, um, that the THC in the marijuana smoke goes into our alveoli, which if you don't know, are the little airbags inside of our lungs that fill up with air. And, and he said the THC goes into the deep pockets and wrinkles of the alveoli and actually scoops out the impurities and thereby actually clean, clean, cleans, I'm trying to put a G in there, cleans our lungs out. Um, and he said that because uh, people that smoke inhale more, it stretches your lungs out more and thereby uh, it reaches into those folds or pockets um, easier and it reaches spots that normal people wouldn't clean out because normal people, unless they blow up balloons or something for a living, they never go, you know, a lot of people, they just, that's not part of their, their regular day. And so Mark Emery told me that, and that always stuck out in my mind. So take that for what it's worth uh, to me with all of the research I've done and absence of any cancer linking credible articles. And the fact that Michael Phelps uh, chooses to smoke cannabis when lungs are, are almost the most important thing when it comes to swimming. Um, you know, I, I get my education from the real world and from the books, not from somebody who's telling me what his teachers or mom told him. Or what he watched on Reef for Madness. Even, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? It's good to get, uh, to get a variety of uh, angles and, and range of uh, different perspectives on everything before you make your mind up, you right. know? And um, obviously, you know, I've been, uh, you could say, yeah, I'm biased, uh, but I'm biased for a reason, though. I, I became biased with the more information uh, that I took in. And I know that the original um, misinformation campaign that Harry Anslinger used in the 30s to try to, uh, and successfully to prohibit marijuana, I know that was intentional disinformation so so you got that you know so when someone's gonna say well i heard it does this or that well i'm not surprised they used to say that it made you uh uh violent and have uh, crazy sex with animals you know ridiculous and uh, it's funny too because you look back too and you see like the smoking ads that were that i've on for cigarettes and stuff and they're like Hey, the doctor recommends you smoke one a day or whatever it was. Seven out of eight or four out of five doctors recommends camels. Right. <laughs> right, right. I know. That's what really bothers me a lot so much, Dominic, lately is, is I like I didn't I wasn't a fan of history in school. I wish I would have been, you know, me too. Yeah, yeah. selectively. I loved Greek mythology. But to me, I was trying to 
trying to uh, live in that blurred line, you know, between fiction and nonfiction. And this was real to the people back then. They lived their lives thinking that Helios in a chariot drags the sun across the sky every day. And they really believe that. And their decisions were made off that, just like the people that thought the world was flat. Um, but, uh, but, but now... I realize history is so important and I, and I, and I realize how much it's missing because to me, everyone in today's culture seems shocked and you wouldn't be shocked if you learned where we came from. We're on a path. We didn't just start and everything is progressive. Everything takes time. And it's, it's just, it's crazy. Um, I, when I go on, I went on stage the other day, I just, uploaded this on my YouTube so people can watch my comedy, uh, a new comedy set that I uh, went up and, and did uh, a few days ago. But man, there's certain things like I talk about segregation and everyone's like, oh, and they clam up, you know, and, and it's like they it's like I didn't make that up. That really happened. You know, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they know that. I don't know. Or they just don't want to acknowledge it. But uh, anyway, it's true with everything. Like history can explain like uh, so much, you know. Really I remember is. how I got to it. What were we talking about? Uh, um, oh, the guy with the cannabis. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I mean, long history of disinformation. The truth is still coming out, and whatever, you know, whatever. I'm. We've got twelve states left that have not adopted a legal program. They're going to be wiped out, just like segregation, which was the point to my humor, by the way. Right. Right. Like, like any stupid rule, just like alcohol prohibition, just like, you know, uh, women's rights prohibition. You know what I mean? It's 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 amazing when you think back just just a few years ago, how different everything was. You know, we were just Katie and I were just looking at, you know, when was the child uh, seat invented? You know, I was like six years old um, <laughs> when it when it was uh, I guess when it became mandatory. Maybe I was eight. But I mean, I'm sure they just like put me in the seat and strapped me in <laughs> or whatever. And, hey, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it was just, everything was just so different then. We're always yeah. adding rules. And, uh, and some of them are added for the purpose of increasing power to certain people. And some of them are added with the um, actual common sense factor because enough people get involved. Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely like the tug and pull of like stuff that's positive and then stuff's a negative. And then you, when you come down to it, it's like what you were saying. It's like, if you go back and look at history and the older I get to, I realize it's like, geez, history really repeats itself in so many ways. It's just like sit cyclical where it's just like, wow, how are we not learning from our past mistakes? <laughs> Whether that's society or the, you know, as a whole or whatever it may be. But Right. Like, wow. and, and I mean, our, our, our country's only like 200 and, 50 years old. I mean, it's really like how many generations is that? Not very many. Great, great grandpa, you know, or so, it's like, it's like, bam, we went from, you know, um, being controlled and run by the English to being a, our own little country with a few states to growing. It's like, um, people act like, like, the way it is now, like, they're just like, they think it's always been like that. And it, why is it like that? You know, and I don't know. It's it's it, it, the proud ignorance always always gets me. Somebody, I don't know if you're gonna maybe you'll grab this comment. I don't know. Uh huh. Uh, but somebody was uh, talking about hate crimes, and they were and they were they were just saying how like what I, to me it's like what a mountain to to you know what a hill to die on to stand for. Some hate crimes are over 
over reported or whatever you know that that was a, that and they want to stand by it. like yeah they they put all that out there like it's really happened and and somebody actually says something to the effect of the last two hate crimes um were were, were both fake and it was like that jesse small thing or whatever yeah. and like my first thought is you think those were the last two hate crimes that occurred? <laughs> like is that even i can't i can't respond to somebody that stupid like if they really don't know that, that happens every single day to so many people if they if they don't have that perspective, then they, yeah, I can't I can't do nothing for you. Right, right. There's only so much you can help. Like we were saying too, like you're making those comments and hoping that you're helping other people, not necessarily the person that made the initial comment. Hopefully, who you can't other be on cardio. <laughs> man, if I got that right, you know that he's that's what he was saying. Then hopefully, some other people at least checked themselves and said, "Well, that can't be right." You know, <laughs> yeah, that guy looks like a moron. I know a lot of uh, victims of it did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. You have different color of skin. That's like part of your everyday that you deal with, whether it's certain looks or disrespect or not getting, um, you, you know, the priority with whatever, whatever, whatever. Every day, every day. There's no question about it. No, absolutely not. It's just like it always happens. And yeah, to my like growing up, growing up in Pennsylvania and, you know, two black people in my town, basically, like or in my high school, it was just like, wow, I didn't even consider like what, you know, an African-American goes through throughout every day. And it's like, of course not. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah opens my eyes up. It, it was just it blew my mind. Like when I, got, I had that epiphany, it was like, geez, I don't have to worry about certain stuff. Yeah. Like, fortunately, you and I know it's important to reprogram as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important. I saw, I saw um, on the I saw today on the news some uh, um, Republican dude, Eli, um, whatever this guy. Um, he was talking about black people and he used the adjective "colored people" and then you know got a lot of backlash from it. And it's funny because it's it's kind of ironic because it makes him sound like a racist when I think he was trying to point out you know something that he wasn't a racist <laughs> or something, but. Um, but you know where I grew up, that word was used and was not considered um, uh, politically incorrect. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, colored was an option to 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 use to describe. Uh, I think it was probably just black people. I don't think we called. I don't know. My mom would always joke and say, "What color were they?" You know, and, and kind of make us realize what we just said. You know, was stupid. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, but. Um, but I, I didn't even know. Like, I remember, like, when I, I first started traveling around with Booker T in uh, WWE, and, I mean, I was still coming out of that show. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I was – I remember one time uh, using that um, in the car with him and then realizing when I said it that I don't even know – like, did I just say something uh, offensive? Like, that? you know, like, I don't remember the way that I worded it, but I knew, like, when I said it that it didn't feel, you know, like that was something that I'd heard and uh, – you know, since being back home or something about it, you know, red flag and Booker knew and understood, you know, that I just just like a lot of people, I didn't know um, much at all came from such a sheltered area. But, man, when it came to uh, knowing like the uh, history of, of black people and knowing uh, even a lot of politically correctness about whatever, you know, he, he, he always understood, you know, that I was um, legitimately ignorant not not trying to be not trying, not to, be trying rude. to be yeah, yeah. and um yeah. we always got along you know but um 
uh, but that was that was just something you know that I've brought up a few times. And, and besides the two or three black people that we might have had in our school, um, maybe in each class, might have had, might have had three. That would have been. But besides that, like I had no idea what a Jewish person looked like, or um, I don't know, like an Italian. Like I had no idea. It was yeah. just I didn't know. They were all just there was white and there was the black people and. You know, they look kind of different. Everyone else, I didn't know. And now it's like just being more worldly and stuff. You know, it's like uh, Katie was talking about this uh, this girl she got a crush on. And she was saying uh, she's Polynesian. I was like, yeah, she looks Polynesian. I can see that. I wouldn't have wouldn't have known that as a kid. No. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have either. No way. No way. It's Yeah, it really opens up your eyes. I always tell people, like, if you grow up in a small town, it really helps to move to a bigger city, even if it's just for a little bit, stuff like that. So I learned a lot doing that, like crazy. You'll open your mind. A lot of people don't want to open their minds or their experiences. Yeah, yeah. People need to get their, their gears turned a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, I always ask you, have you watched any wrestling this week? Um, Very, very little. I saw something on YouTube. And um, it was um, it was Jungle Boy doing a heel promo, walking to the ring, and uh, he he had everybody listening to him. You know, he smooth didn't wasn't screaming like I'm gonna rip your head off, you know. But it was still yeah. getting heat, and he just you know was comfortable. Took his time. So I was impressed with that. He'd be speaking. He'd like walk, step through the ropes, you know, say some more stuff, go, you know, get where he's. So, um, but I saw that and, and it was uh, about Hook and it was about the FTW belt, you know, and and I thought that was cool. And then I saw the uh, highlights of the, the match that, that followed with him. Followed and the, up with it. Yeah, that was last night, I think it was, like they had and uh... – it, that's what I thought from the um, YouTube video. I think it said it was just posted like 22 hours ago or something. Yeah, I think I think Jungle Boy with his new heel turn, too. I think he's coming out to Beethoven now, too, instead of... Uh, I think he's what? He's coming out to Beethoven, as I think is what I heard. I have yet to watch Dynamite yet, so I got to tune into that. But yeah, I, I, you know, he's got a lot of legs, I think, as a heel. You know, he's got the... He's good looking. He's like, you know, he's son of a movie star, late movie star. And I think uh, you can definitely... um. You can definitely feed off of that a little bit too. So, you know, yeah, um, good looking kid. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I had yeah, I realized that I had the other one on season pass, but not the Wednesday one. So I had, I guess, Rampage. That's the Friday one. That's the Friday one, and then they have Collision too on Saturday. So yeah, I adjusted that because I wanted to see what's going on on Wednesdays. So, um, I'll make an attempt to. To watch a little before our next podcast. Hey, interesting. Oh, that'll be good. That'll be good. Be a little topical, uh, current event stuff. Um, let's see. The only thing I was going to ask you, um, I heard that. You only got one question? Well, what's, yeah, the, for the rest of the show, this is it. <laughs> well, then we'll wrap it up. <laughs> well, I heard, I read online that the Israel show is off temporarily. Is that true? It's true that it's off. Yeah. I hadn't. I hadn't been pushing it because of the reason that it's not official to me until I get my deposit. Yes. And um, so, you know, I might have liked a couple of the posters I saw. I just hearted it, but 
as you know, we've discussed this before. Just because I just because I I hit the heart, don't assume that I that I read it or listened to it, you know, or whatever. It just means, hey, you got my support. Yeah. Um, sorry, Dino. I, I I never have the sound on when I'm when I'm on my phone. He's uh, been a regular. I've seen him. He's yeah. Pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, did he do the one of a kind? Somebody did one of a kind, like. Um, like a trumpet or something a, with a, a guitar. I was thinking, I, I don't know, but yeah, anyway, I, I, I listened to that one, but I don't think that was him anyway. Um, so, um, I like the comments. Doesn't mean deposit didn't come, you know? And so, uh, it, it was already late. It was the date had gotten moved once. So already it's like, yeah, just, you know, after this much experience in the industry, that happens sometimes. So when you get um, the deposit and you got money in your bank, then at least, you know, um, then at least they've invested in something. So for me, it's like I, I'll put the X on my calendar once I got money. Um, otherwise, if somebody else wants that same date and they're willing to send money, then uh, that's, you know, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and I got, you know, cow doo-doo in one hand and I got money in the other. So, um which one you gonna go with, right? <laughs> yeah, that happened though. The date, the the pushback date passed with no uh, deposited money. So Rick Bassman made this press. Did you see the press release he wrote? Or no, I did not. Okay. I, I just well, read an article that it was off. Okay, so so what I got from what he wrote was basically that he's saying for sure all the Americans or the non-Israel Israelian. I think Israelis. Is all the um, out of country talent? They're not going to be there. Don't advertise them. Don't be buying tickets thinking we're going to be there. So that's what I got out of it was that they could maybe continue the show with just their locals if they got a little bit of momentum going, and that was their their evil plan. I don't know, but that's all I know, dude. Is that uh, that was going to be so busy for me anyway? Yeah, it was going to be so busy. Like my friend. Uh, um, yesterday that um, he books me on some stuff and I was telling him how busy I've been. He said, I thought you didn't uh, like to be that busy. And I'm like, I don't, you know, but I mean, for a certain, uh, for certain, you know, certain amount, it's worth it. And then, and then I'm going crazy a little bit, but it's worth it because I've already worked all that out in my head, you know, right. so boom. Yeah. Something off your plate and you're always going to have something added to the plate at some point or another. Always, always. Yeah. And it's already happened. Right. See, I can imagine. Right. <laughs> That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Well, I wanted to ask you too. Um, did, did you get some good feedback uh, regarding the Jerry Lynn episode last week at all? Or I know it's kind of early because like it released on Monday, but um, I just this was one of my favorite episodes. I think just because I like of, yeah. of our podcast. Yeah, the podcast name. Um, I don't remember seeing any feedback or getting any feedback. Yeah, it's still relatively early you know for the week so far and stuff like that too so but yeah i just it was one of my I favorite. try to read the comments on my youtube page um you know which when they do three a day or or you know when youtube chris does that which for some reason he isn't now <clears throat> um it, it, then it's hard to keep up but i try to uh that way i get you know an idea of what's going on and, and also you know if i can react and hit them back and, and, and whatever. But um, sometimes I get too busy to keep up with that. And outside of that, I get a lot of people just telling me like, uh, 
hey man i you know i dig your podcast man keep doing it so it's a lot more general like that yeah that's usually it's the word of mouth thing that i think i hear more than anything else is like hey it's you know i've been hearing it a lot more in my appearances and stuff you know like oh that's that's new you know got people coming up signing and telling me they're keeping up with me like every week that's cool yeah oh yeah man oh yeah cool well speaking of youtube chris he told me, and I told you this before we started recording, is that we only we only have wrestler spotlight this week because he thinks it's going to cover the cover a lot of time. So uh, it'll be an interesting one. The, right. Oh, geez! Before I get to that, though, I I forgot. I almost forgot the um the dream match that people been doing because of the Mike Awesome uh, thing. Uh, we mentioned Bret Hart last week. Uh, I thought that was a very cool one. I, I got a little traction on that with the inside the ropes too, on the website. But uh, another name that got mentioned, and I'm kind of curious how you're going to think about maybe how you would have worked with him because he was such a stickler for matches and stuff, is uh, Randy Savage. Um, have you? What was your interaction with Randy? Have you ever had some before he passed? And uh, how do you think you, you would have worked with him? You know, I never think about this. So thank you for asking because you just brought up a, a good memory in my head like that was locked up in there. Like I, yeah. forgot, this, I forgot this even happened. This is the exact same night. YouTube Chris can uh, put this in chronological order. No, but this was when I visited WCW. So this is before the 97 uh, Barely Legal. Okay, yep. When I went to WCW and they were in Savannah, Georgia. I -hmm. lived there. I went to see either Scotty Riggs or Louis Spicoli or both of them say hi and talk to Eric Bischoff, Eric Bischoff. And I outside had a little alone time. He offered me a job to jump ECW. And uh, some of the other guys were already jumping too at that point. So I don't know if the, I always wondered if the price that he threw at me was the formula that they got to, because I think Sandman was already there. Um, Raven, I'm pretty sure, was already there. Raven was definitely there, I think. And then maybe Perry, Saturn. I think yeah, yeah. Sandman came later on, I remember. He was later. Then they called him Hack. After this, though? I mean, after uh, this night? After, after Barely this Legal? Night, after Barely Legal? After, yeah. Or, or, Unless I'm mean, mistaken, too. But. Okay. I mean, Barely Legal, I guess, was soon after, a couple weeks after. Anyway... That whole night uh, after after the show downtown on uh, in in Savannah and on River Street, little cobblestone road right there on the river. Um, it's a cool place to walk around, drink, twist your ankle, and um, there was a bar there down there that the boys were at. And I remember talking to a Macho Man then, and that's weird because this would be the only conversation I ever had with them. And I totally forgot about it till just now. Like wow. it's it's weird. This yeah, it's weird. Like when uh, I can tell it was a really thick door that just opened up. You know, that's <laughs> sometimes that happens, and other times it's just rehash stuff. But Brian Knobs was talking to me, and then introduced me to Macho Man, and uh, everyone was being cool like they'd heard of me i guess they watched me in ecw they you know i was kind of a hot topic for good future coming up dude man i would have been 25 i guess uh yeah. or 26 
26 it was 97. Anyway, um, I remember Macho Man sitting at the bar, you know, and uh, and just talking to me, uh, telling me he heard a lot of good stuff about me. Um, watch, watch what the fuck not, watch what Nob is saying. He's full of shit. <laughs> uh, I think he was joking, you know, but he was like uh, telling me, um, you know, you you can have a really good future, you know. Um, I'll put in a good word for you and. WCW, if you want to go that route or whatever, and I just remember like, like man, that was just so over the top cool, and he didn't have to do that. There was no, I always that's what I always think about that was he didn't have, you know there was, why he didn't have to be that cool to me, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that was so out of the way, awesome, you know. I he was watching it when I first started watching. I mean, I'm sorry, he was wrestling on top when I first started watching it, and all through you know, my years as a fan, he was always top guy. So of course I got nothing but respect for him, even though oddly his brother inspired me more. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I was just like, it was almost like a middleman said, Hey, this is a good friend of mine, you know, um, talk to him and put him over. Yeah. But I don't, but there was no middleman. There wouldn't have been. Yeah. Huh. So since he was so particular, like with how his matches were laid out and structured and everything, you know, you always hear about the WrestleMania three match that you were at with the steamboat and everything uh, that that was all laid out. Uh, would you be able to work in that kind of at like in that kind of element with with Savage if he were, hey, Rob, I got all these laid out for you. <laughs> would you be able I, to do something? Like that? You know, I, I bet if you put that match up against the average TV match nowadays, mm-hmm. I bet you it wouldn't stand out as as being um, to set up, to put together, you know, in the scripted uh, era that, that we have. I think that um, the standard norm ha- has become what uh, he might have complained about back then. Yeah, yeah. That is true. That's a very good. Point. Having said that, you know, I can, I can, I can do that style. Although, you know, sometimes you just have to go with the moment and substitute some stuff. And uh, and thank God, because it's those moments that still, you know, keep it um, real to me when I'm in a in a situation where it seems more about uh, more about. Uh, 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 a story that we already had in mind specifically verb by noun by adjective um, as, as opposed to uh, seeing what we got, but um, yeah. Does that answer your question? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely a different landscape, but how he, you know, and it, what you were saying earlier too, how like you started watching when he was really like, you know, still at the top and everything like that. And like, as as a viewer for me in the '90s, I was like, "Oh, Macho Man's a personality," but he was so much well known for his ability in the ring too, and uh, that was something that dawned on me later on that I wasn't even aware of as how great of a wrestler he actually was. So he, uh, yeah, and uh, as a fan, he never struck me as a nice guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was intimidating, if anything. Didn't seem like someone that I'd want to have a little conversation and chat with. You know, yeah. it's a little too intense. I would have thought. Right. Right. 
All I knew of her was the colors and Slim Jim. That was it. <laughs> man, he looks so good in uh, Spider-Man. Yes. Bones vascular and everything when he was in the cage. Yeah. Oh, man. And that, that was the, around the time, too, where you wouldn't hear that kind of stuff or, like, it wouldn't get reported too early. So when you saw him on the screen, I was like, holy shit, that's Macho Man. Yeah, yeah. Pretty I, I, I remember that as looking his most intense. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. All right. So somebody who else is pretty intense and was known for his intensity is our wrestler spotlight this week. Um, so YouTube, Chris. Ooh, Bulletproof Troop. All right. Heck He's my man. homie. Yeah. Bulletproof's my homie. Yep. Nice, man. Nice. So. Bad motherfucker. <laughs> Don't let him catch you talking shit. All right. I'm not going to say a word. Nothing. <laughs> we are talking Triple H this week, Rob. All right. Oh, yes. Uh, you mentioned um, how nice of a interaction you had with him at your Hall of Fame induction and everything. And we're gonna get so many little cuts out of talking about Triple H because exactly I what saw with, told me. <laughs> I saw with Taz. It was like twelve different little clips of everything he's about to talk about. This is the uh, this, little piece here. Yeah, he's a little closer to talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's exactly what Chris told me. He's like, you're gonna get a bunch of clips out of this. What I'm telling you. So. Uh, all right, so let's take a look here where we started off. Uh, hey, Tad reached out to me too, by the way. Oh, did he really? What do you think? Yeah, from, from, from those clips, you know. Oh, and he nice. Said, yeah, so we had a nice little uh, back and forth uh, chat conversation the other day for a while, so that was cool. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. I'm happy about that. Yeah, Taz, man, I was always a big fan, but then when I got to talk to him, like at an interview kind of standpoint and stuff, I was like, dude, this guy's like so easy to get along with and everything at that point. He loved the business, and you know that's what that's what used to be uh, the most important compliment in the in uh, in the closed door society that I joined. Mm -hmm. Whoever loved the business the most was like uh, was best. You know what I mean? Like you would fight over that if someone said they love the business more than you. No one loves the business more than me. You know, like that was like that was a legitimate beef, like way back in the day. Hey, nobody loves the business more than I do, bro. You, you know, you could really get someone's face. Are you serious, bro? What, you're saying you love the business more than I do? That's what you're trying to say? Like, that could really insult some people back in the day. And it's just, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It's I respected it, but, but I knew when I got to a point where I was like, you know what? Everybody in this dressing room loves the business more than I do. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? I'm <laughs> He get to know that. Point. But I was always honest and open and, and transparent. That's always been important to me. You know what I mean? But then after a while, as the value shifted, and I was burnt out, you know, that was a big part of my history, why I left, why I didn't resign. I was burnt out and uh, never really recovered to, to, to go to the full time. Um, but, yeah, during uh, – during all that, though, it was uh, my values were changing to the point to where it was like, you know, they they're still excited to be around each other. You know, yeah. they just want to talk wrestling on the bus for ten hours before we get to the building, play wrestling video games in the dressing room up until their match time, go out there and wrestle. It started, you know, like those those you know were uh, apparent flags for me for, for a long time to where, 
I was like, if that ain't the universe telling me, you know, that uh, I should get my seat up on the bus pretty soon, I don't know. But then, then I had my ego back in, you know, arguing against that, saying, fuck them, man. I'm working my, you know, look at me in the ring. Yeah. Crushing it, you know, and they're not as good as you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, cool. Well, um, so, yeah, flat out, when did you first meet Triple H? Ooh. Hmm. That is a great question. Did you I... happen to cross paths when you visited Killer Kowalski's school at all? Because I know he trained there. I want that to be true so bad. Let's you know? say it. Let's just say it. <laughs> I met him actually when I visited Killer Kowalski's school. Oh, okay. <laughs> in, in 1989, I was still in high school. Um, dude, I looked through. Hi, baby. I looked through um, photos that I had taken from that visit, you know, when mm -hmm. I was at his school and the wrestlers in the ring. And I wanted so bad to be like, oh my God, he was there. <laughs> But I don't think it really, I think, I don't know. I think that I heard that he was there later. Like maybe he was there in 91. And I I don't know if that's true or not. Something, yeah, not like, sure. that. Something like that. And I was there, had him in 88 or 89 because I graduated high school in 89. And I know it was, uh, wasn't it before that? I don't even know that for sure now. But anyway, I think it was 89. Yeah, because I was 18 still. But, it, but I think I had – maybe I – I don't know. Maybe I already graduated. That's – getting my stories confused now. But I think it was 89, and I think that I had read somewhere that Paul was there in 90 or 91. But um, I can't remember for sure the first time that I met him. I think it would have had to have been uh, – I don't – I think it would have had to have been – in 97 when i did the oh, invasion yeah. the invasion to raw yeah yeah that's true yeah okay because i was curious i was curious if maybe so because i mean uh, he was in wcw too for a little bit and yeah yeah i don't think we bumped past there um and uh and i i don't it doesn't stand out in my mind is any you know significant event that happened? So I probably met him along with a bunch of other people at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in 2001, when you came into the WWF, he was out rehabbing with a torn quad. I remember that in that big tag match he had with Stone Cold, where he ruptured his quad. He wasn't married to Steph at the time, so he didn't have the power backstage that he now has. But when you were coming into the WWE. Did any of your friends warn you about him, or did was did you ever hear negative things or positive things maybe about Triple H when you were going there? Either way, um, I think that I've always got warnings about him since uh, since I knew of him. I think, but I could have that twisted in my head. But when was uh, Bret Hart's documentary? Wrestling with Shadows. So that a lot of that, what was documented, took place in '97, and I believe Wrestling with Shadows took place was released in like 1998. So like the year. So I developed an so I developed an opinion on him off of that. Okay. Yeah. Among other things, also I remember an interview he did on something that I saw that was like. Uh, 
one of those gen- secrets of pro wrestling, one of those specials, like way back in, the, in those days. Yeah, yeah. Like in the mid, in the late nineties, there was one of those, and I remember seeing him get an interview talking about how him and I don't know if it was Sean or Jay or Jesse James, what, but how they were going to be how they were going to be dropping the, the tag team champ straps that night or whatever. And I, and I just remember at that time I was really defensive about the business still, you know, that, that was a crime to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, at that time, remember this was just, you know, closed door society still and just coming out of that. Like when, when that dude uh, was making beyond the mat. Oh yes. Yep. That wasn't long before that either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I remember somebody really trying to expose what was going on. And, and, and I didn't believe it should be exposed. That's the way I was trained. You know, I, I started ECW in 96, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, 96. January 96. And at that time, it was still... Um, it was still a closed door society. It was halfway open by some of the people, but I resented those people as did Sabu. I was Sabu's soldier back then. You know what I mean? Whenever he said, do that, I would have done it. I was still at that stage and he was my mentor. So uh, that's, that's the way it was. And, and, and one of the buildings I'm picturing the the building in my head. It, it might have been Queens Elks Lodge, maybe. But then it also could have been in in Boston. But there was a place where the the hot dog guy would try to cut through the dressing room, because from the kitchen to the uh, to go out to the stands, because otherwise he had to walk like all the way around and shit. And when he would come through. Sabu would like fucking he would knock the tray out of his hand, fucking <laughs> kick his ass, you know, like throw him out the door and stuff. Yeah. And and at that time, all the other guys in the ECW were kind of like, Sabu, do you think that's a little excessive? Because the times were just moving during that time, you know. ECW was the first crowd that I knew of, the ECW crowd, and the ECW talent wrestled in front of the first smart crowd. That yes. I know of, where yeah. yeah, and so that was all like something that I s- still ain't, ain't comfortable. Like some people, like trying to bite the hand that feeds them. I, I don't get it. Why you would say, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull this rabbit out of this hat." I want you, you, you don't know the rabbit's there, right? You're gonna think it's an empty hat. I mean, yeah. we're gonna show you. We'll show you the hat. You're gonna think it's empty, but it's not. The rabbit's in there, right? I'm going to turn this little mirror gimmick and pull the rabbit out. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be surprised. Okay, ready? And then they go and do it. And they actually, you know, and and people are trained. So they'll be like, "Ah." (laughs) Ah. but really the magic ain't there when you're, when it's too predictable. And, and what could be more predictable than you telling everybody that you're reading the damn script? Who gave you the script anyway? I don't know. I, thank God they've never given me a script, except for promos. Um, but um, anyway, um, so <laughs> I remember judging Paul by exposing on that show. I thought 
since he was doing a job that he just wanted to be able to tell everyone, you know, hey, it's a shoot when I'm over. It's a work when I'm under, you know, like that's a long that's a long standing uh, joke with the with the wrestlers. And anyway, um, I had a little opinion between that and between him and Shawn Michaels talking to Bret Hart's wife. I'm sorry, Owen's wife, whoever mm-hmm. Bret's wife, Bret's wife. In the hallway, I swear to God, Martha. I wish I did. I wish I had. I, I didn't know. I, I did. I swear to God. You know, like you remember that part? Yeah, yeah. In, in right. Missing the Shadows. Yeah, I can't remember if it was Martha or Julia though. Yeah, uh, I think it was Martha. But I, I had an opinion of them. So there was that, and then you know, talking to some guys like Brett, you know, that that that, that gave me uh, some some feedback um, before I knew the guy. So I was biased. Yeah. When when did you cross paths with Brett around that time? Like, was it during your invasion when the EC, the ECW invasion in '97 ish? First time I crossed uh, paths with Brett in the front row, it is British Bulldogs versus the Heart Foundation cage match um, in Battle Creek Kellogg Center. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, um, but first time I think that I crossed paths. Remember that Dory Funk Junior retirement match I had out in Texas. Bret Hart wrestled Terry Funk. I wrestled okay, yes. Terry Funk Jr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about that? That was, that was, I don't know what year that was. 96, that, 97. Yeah, I think it was something around that time. Because wasn't that the match that they focused on in Beyond the Mat, too? Was Terry, Terry Funk's retirement yeah. against Brett? Yeah, the yes. referee that was, Dennis Stamp. Referee that was crying because he wasn't booked or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Dennis Stamp. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. That's right. So that's the first time I met Brett. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Well, okay. Yeah. So when you came in, you were put in the evasion angle and you were part of the alliance. For those that oh, don't know. Story. Yes. The blood vessel just popped open another open story. Like that. <laughs> so um, after that cage match, or it could have been a different night, but at the Battle Creek Kellogg Center when I was. I don't know. I got dropped off there, so I wasn't old enough to drive, you know, 16, 15, 16. Um, the Hart Foundation was there that night. Very well. Could have been that same match. Uh, the Kellogg Center had a hotel attached to it called Stouffer's. And, man, I was so – I wanted to stay there so bad just to – partly for this story, too, uh, when I'm going to be there in September. Oh. And now I'm, told, now I'm told the hotel isn't open anymore or something. I'm so bummed. But I have got to stay there anyway since then. But, um, you know, some the talent usually would drive on after the matches, you know, instead of staying at the hotel because mm-hmm. they had to be in Lansing or Detroit or something. Uh, but anyway, there was a bar. And so one night after the matches, Brett and Jim Neidhart, Danny Davis was there. They were in the Stouffer's bar. And I, I was uh, – such a big mark. I was waiting uh, to meet them afterwards. Try and get an autograph and a picture. I wonder if I still have all those autographs. Where would they be? I'm going to have to figure that out. But anyway, um, I'm waiting. And then uh, I got Danny Davis's. He was cool. Jim Neidhart, uh, he healed me. Did he heal you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he healed me. And then... Uh, at one point, when Brett looked like he was coming out or, or, or something, I got his attention uh-huh. at one point. Could have been when he was going in, but at one point, I was like, Brett, you know, can I get your autograph? And he goes, he goes, no, you're a Bulldog fan. 
And I was as a as a mark, I was just like, I gotta let him know. I gotta let him know. Like, I love the Heart Foundation. No, no, no. I wanted them to beat the Bulldogs. (laughs) I mean, the British Bulldogs were really good, but no, I was behind him. I gotta, (laughs) I gotta wait. I gotta catch him on his way out. That's what it was. And and anyway, on the way out, um, I did get his autograph. You know, he was he was boom, 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 and they went and got in their car and left. And and I have pictures of it too, of me like stalking them outside their car. But yeah, so there, there, so there's, there was that. And then, then the Dory Funk uh, Jr. uh, (laughs) match. Yeah. And I don't remember when I really started bonding with him. I think it was, no, it was definitely through, through uh, Kirk White, who's a uh, California wrestling promoter. Okay. Great guy. What's that? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Great guy from San Jose. He passed away. Just recently, like a year, within the last year and a half, two years, um, yeah, passed away a heart attack, I think, or something. But great guy, you know. We, he was he was a friend, not just a promoter. We all and, and he represented Brett. He was Brett's agent until he died, and uh, I believe that's that's when I started bonding with Brett. Was uh, working for Kirk, and then. Uh, he, he was telling me that Brett had questions about marijuana and stuff, you know, and I was oh. like, yeah. Hey, then we did the RVD, got that RVD TV episode of Heart to Heart with me and Brett sitting in a hotel room. That wasn't long after, you know, I just started hang out, hanging out with him. Oh, no way. That's great. Holy smokes. Yeah. Jeez, that's pretty, that's pretty sweet, man. And then, hey, how about that? You opened the, the door up about the Heart Foundation. Great guy, man. He let me and my evil ex stay in his house in Hawaii. Really? Uh, why, why he wasn't even there you know what i mean like uh in uh honolulu it was beautiful uh japanese style house and uh we had a we had a great time a few days vacation there and uh um and uh just hanging out on the front deck and um looking at nature going you know around the yard and stuff and it was uh it, it, that was so cool and then uh and then my evil ex had to leave to meet some guy in a, in Oahu, so they could so they could go exploring. Oh no, that's, that is evil. <laughs> oh, she forgot about that in the divorce settlement, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Brett had a place in Hawaii. Yeah, that was so cool of him to just be like, yeah, the uh, person downstairs uh, made. There, there's someone who lived downstairs, and they helped take care of the property and stuff. And he was like, yeah, they'll give you the key and. Anything you need, ask them, you know. And it's like, hey, I need weed. No problem. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so, yeah, he's always been, like, really cool. And uh, I always remember he's always offered, you know, to help me if I ever need it. You know, again, he didn't have to do that. No, right, yeah. It's a matter of, like, you know, paying it forward and all that stuff. And, like, the respect that they have for the business, too, and, like, carrying it on. Um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, so you were part of the Alliance, and for those who don't know, the Alliance was a merger with WCW and ECW trying to take out WAF. At this time in the storyline, the owner of ECW was none other than Stephanie McMahon. What did you think of that as like a McMahon kind of thing? Paul Heyman was doing commentary at the time, I remember that. But in the storyline, they had him sell ECW to Stephanie. Did, what, do you have an opinion on that angle of some sort? Does it make sense? Or is there like, why is Paul not? Um... Did you say Paul sold it to Stephanie? 
Yeah, storyline wise, and then um, he, but he was on commentary with Jr. at the time because uh, I don't think Lawler was there anymore at the time. Um, okay. Um, I don't remember the intricate details like that necessarily, but I think I liked it. I thought yeah. it was thought it was a cool idea, and doesn't it lead to like brother versus sister or something? Right. Yeah, and it, well, yeah. they had the alliance with the Shane had WCW, then Stephanie had ECW. And then Vince had WWE. So it like from the McMahon family storyline perspective, it made a lot of sense, I thought. You know? Yeah, I think yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah, me too. How did you get along with Steph at this time? Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. She was always cool. Yeah. That's what I hear all the time about her. How, how great and you know, affable and easygoing she is in a lot of stuff. And like Yeah. I used to at first at first I I, I before I got uh, maybe I always still, I don't know, but I used to always, this is probably weird. So someone else, I think I've only told one other person this and they thought it sounded weird, <laughs> but I, I, I felt kind of dirty around her in the way that like, I don't want to hold a baby, you know, um, unless I want to wash my hands first or whatever, cause I'm probably dirty or whatever. And I, I just felt, I, I didn't, I just felt like here's the billion dollar princess. And then, and then I just felt like here I am, like my shirt is soaked in sweat from <laughs> from stretching. And I'm like, oh, hey, Stephanie. And for some reason, every single time I've ever hugged her, my shoulder hits her right in the chin. Still does. <laughs> really? Every time, guaranteed. I, I don't know what it is. It's bam. And I do that with, with a, almost all females. I don't know why. Uh, but for Stephanie, 100%. That's when I noticed it was Stephanie. And then I noticed, wow, like – like 80% of the other women I do that too. I don't know why. When I go into hug, for some reason, my, my shoulder always hits him right in the chin. And with Stephanie, I used to step on her toe too. And I always just kind of felt like, I always felt like I was on the other side of the fence between like, they're the, this is going to be taken the wrong way probably, but I, I, this is how I felt though. I felt like they're the flesh peddlers and we're just the talent, you know, like that's how I, that's how I felt. No, no I get it though. It's like, you know, the different dynamic, different class in a certain way where it's just like, Hey, you know, this is the boss's daughter and I, I'm a real worker. You know, it's like a different dynamic going on. Like um, I, I used to, I can't remember the name of this show. The, 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 the lady from Xena warrior, warrior princess. Um, Lucy Lawless. Yeah, Lucy Lawless was in it. It was it was about um, these people had a, a gladiator dome in Rome, hmm. and it was all about. And he was married to her, and they just you know had all these slaves all over the place, and you know they'd use them sexually, or, or they would like make them fight, of course. And it was a great show. Um, I you know subjectively, but I um, I loved it. But it was like you know like all the. The, the, all the gladiators and stuff, you know, they were they were they were prisoners. They're there, you know, sleeping like in a in a cell in the dirt, you know, and they're all dirty and stuff. And then it's like the rich family that owned the whole arena that was making a killing off of having these shows once a week or once however often they had the shows. I, I kind of looked at it like that, you know, like we're the dirty uh, gladiators that are just out here killing ourselves and. And they're the ones that, you know, that uh, that are the business-minded um, professionals on the other side. Yeah, you know, it's always felt like that. No, it it makes sense though. It does. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Well, not you know. I can empathize. I can't sympathize. 
Look at the shackles on my feet, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you won't want to be hugging, you know, and stepping on the toes of like Caesar's daughter or nothing like that. So it makes sense, you know. So, all right. Around October of 2001, you started a feud with Chris Jericho. In the storyline, Chris and Steph had been rivals for quite some time leading up to this. So once you and Chris started your feud, you and Steph also started to become involved with each other on TV as she was supporting you in the feud. Uh oh. Uh oh. So, like we talked about on a past show, you were getting a huge push at this time. In the span of five days, you pinned the WAF world champion in Kurt Angle and then the WCW world champion, The Rock. Unfortunately, both those matches were non title matches. You're the only wrestler in the history of wrestling to do that. Wow, how about that? Snap. Dang. YouTube Chris, nice statistic here. To add some salt to the wound in the match with Kurt, I almost said Chris, the stipulation was if you won, which you did, Steve Austin would get a WWF World title match with Kurt. And in that match, you got him. Austin defeated Kurt to win the title. Because of you beating both Kurt and Rock all the time, you legit could have and should have been the first undisputed world champion, holding both the WWF World and WCW World titles at the same time. Jericho ended up being that, the first to do that, in a few months later, December. So around this time, when you and Steph would be talking on camera, this is when they offered you an angle with her where you two would become an off on-air couple. Talk about your memories of that. Do you remember like having that being pushed, pitched to you or anything of that regard or like working with Steph on air? Or for when you did work with her on air, how was that too? Say that again. Okay, so talk about your memories of they offered – you and Angle where you two would become an on-air couple or something like that. And then did you have memories of that at all? Well, I just remember, like, I, I made out with her first just to see, like, if we'd be awkward in front of the camera or not. I'm just yeah, joking. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I did have an actress say that one time, though. Um, she offered uh, to do that with you or something? This was on Blood Moon. I mean, I'm green as can be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So green. But I'm supposed to make out with this girl on a pinball machine. And, like, um, ju I just met her, like, right before we go action. And she was like, um, uh, I think she said she tried to call me the night before or something to meet me or whatever. And I was like, oh, really? You know? Well, I could. And then she was like, um, can, can I get a hug? So at least I feel like I know you, you know, and hugged her. And, and, and she was trying to, like, bond before we go action. And uh, I was like, Dude, I don't care. Say action, and I, was, blah, 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 blah. But I couldn't. I was supposed to get a bra undone. I didn't, and I was so green. I didn't even know how to do it. I guess I had never done a girl's uh, bra. I didn't understand the without looking at it. Yeah. I didn't know the mechanics of it, and I was too embarrassed to say anything. So my stupid ass held up production. They had to go over and over, and they're like. Rob, this time when you're kissing, you know, you are, you know, undo. We want to see your tits. It's supposed to be like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. And oh, I kept like fumbling with it. Yeah. How stupid though. I should have just told them. And she was like, I'm going to show you. I was like, no, 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 I got it this time. That's how dumb I was. Stubborn. <laughs> That's like we were talking about before. People would rather be right. I don't know. They would rather just win the argument than than, than, than be correct, you know what right. I mean? Like yeah, be yeah. actually correct, you know. Instead, want to defend, argue, to argue. defend that fucking wrong position so you don't lose the fight. And, and then it never did come out. They never came out, and they ended up not having a titty scene because they didn't want to shoot it a fifth time. Jeez. Yeah. But anyway, um, Stephanie's titties didn't come out. Yes. And um, 
she was always like super cool and i was afraid to do and it wasn't like they offered me an angle the way you put it anyway it was yeah. more like it was more like um those those scripts uh you know, that was the only time I've seen scripts is they would hand it to you and it was suggested dialogue, make it your own, boom, boom, boom. But I saw where the story was going and I was uncomfortable with it because my uh, evil ex, the most insecure woman ever, um, that would make my life hell at home, having a romantic angle with Stephanie on TV and having her friends tell her, yeah, I saw, you know, like, What's going on with Robin Steph? Like I just, you know, yeah. like even even just being there and being on the road, she automatically assumed that I was cheating and, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So, so it's always combating that, which a lot of guys know what that's like. And thank God, I'm not in a toxic relationship like that. But it was always like I was trying to fight for uh, trust. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And feeling like I deserved it, and I like a lot of people that don't deserve trust that are fighting for trust. But me, actually deserving it, being honorable, being honest, being faithful, and still getting accused of of every you know, like don't think I don't know what's going on when you're at you know, just she was ugh, she was always like that that nastiness. Yeah. So because of that, I was like, man, you know, I just want to wrestle. I don't want to get involved with uh, storylines like this and stuff, you know, and uh, uh, I don't remember who I told first, you know, I remember having to talk with Stephanie. Mm -hmm. I was like really upset about it. You know what I mean? Like, like, Oh my God, you know, this is, this sucks. But, and I remember Stephanie, you know, trying to make me feel comfortable with it. And she said, predictably just, you know, just, you know, look at it like we're just actors and you're just playing a part. And I was like, okay, but, you know, don't call me Rob Van Dam then because I really am Rob Van Dam. I have been for, you know, what was it, 10, 12 years? At, right, right at that point. Whatever, yeah. Um, and so, you know, that that's the thing is like they always put that in there with someone else. It's weird to have somebody else help control your image and you have some control to steer it, but not total control. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, obviously you always have the, the absolute last say because you got two feet. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what I always believe. You may not like all your options, but you always there's always at least one option, you know, if you want to walk. But. Um, anyway, you know, that's what I said, you know, like it's, but I, you know, my image, everything like that is me, boom, boom. Uh, I remember, I remember talking to Bruce Pritchard about it. And I remember Bruce, man, I was brand new at this time. This feels like yeah. week, week. Wow. This is such a, yeah. Fresh, like trying to figure out the chain of command and who's that dude running around with the blue hair and how come I don't trust him. And, um, it was like, but, uh, I remember talking to Bruce and Bruce was like, um, you know, that's, I'm glad we had this talk. You know, if you didn't tell me that you were uncomfortable with certain things and how would I know? Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't know, you know, so now I know. So, you know, we can, we can uh, work around that issue, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I thought everything went well. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Next week when I got there and uh, somebody, I think little blue haired Brian handed me the script and then. Uh, um, Is that Brian Rewards? Just to. <laughs> I'm not sure what his last name is. Oh, okay. 
like the he was the head writer at the time. Yeah. 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 Man, big man. Pro- probably a good guy too. Yeah. By the way. He's, I, yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> um, but um, but I read the script and it, and it seemed to uh, um to go further into the romance angle, you know. And I was just fresh from ECW, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the pick a hand thing wasn't that long ago, and that was that was a legitimate problem solving option. And I went to Blue Hair Brian, and he was like on a in a, a printer machine or something, work on something. And I said, Hey, I said, who, I said, Hey, who do I have to go and slap to get this to stop? He goes, what? And I said, who do I have to slap you? He was like, no, no. I said, who Bruce? And he goes, I, no, don't slap anybody. What? And I said, I was told last week that, you know, since I told you guys that, uh, so I figured they were fucking with me is what it was. So, you know, I got really defensive because I figured, because I'd always heard stuff about that too, that they would fuck with you and test you and rib you till you want to hang yourself, you know, and, horrible stories and Bruce was in a lot of those stories. And so I figured since he told me, uh, you know, thanks for letting me know you don't want me to write anymore about you and Stephanie and a love interest. Wink, wink next week, you know, Rob and Stephanie are in the backseat of a car. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, I'll do it old school. Then who do I need to smack? You know, it was like, no, don't, don't smack anybody. I said, where's he at? Who wrote, he go, Bruce wrote this. I said, where's he at? And he was like, uh, I don't know. And then I went, and I think I told Paul. I said, "Where's Bruce at? I gotta, I gotta smack him." Uh, and I think Bruce, I think Paul talked me out of it. You know? Yeah. And he was like, Why? What's going on? And I told him. I said, "Look at this." You know? And, and they, you know, they're fucking with me now. They, I gotta show them they can't fuck with me. And he was like, "Don't do that. It's not a good idea." And I was like, "I don't want to do this." You know? Hey, yeah. That's. That's what I remember uh, going down and Paul talked me out of it and then talking to somebody must, it was probably uh, Bruce, probably Mm -hmm. maybe then at a later, you know, later on in the day or whatever about ways that we could fix it and make everybody happy. You know, what if, what if Jericho is in love with her and he's pursuing her, but she's pursuing you, but you don't even notice. Like she's all trying to go out of her way. Like, Hey Rob. And, and, and you know, Hey, you look great. And you're just in your character. Like, yeah, I really do. Don't I? And <laughs> I was like, I could see that working. Yeah. But then I, don't, I don't really think we did much with it though. No, I'm trying to recall it too, just from like when I was watching it. And uh, I think I remember had, a little bit what you're saying. We had that conversation and then I don't remember where it went from there. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's a, yeah. Cause I do remember, I remember like them having like, you know, stuff with Jericho and everything at that point, but yeah. Hmm. All right. So the first in-ring interaction that you'd have with Triple H was actually at the Royal Rumble in 2002. You had a very nice run over the past few months, so common sense would think that you'd have a great showing in the Rumble. Maybe, maybe even winning it if you're watching on television, you'd think that. So you come into the match at number 29 to a huge pop. Hit Kurt with a five-star frog splash immediately, and very soon after, Triple H hit you with a pedigree. But he doesn't pick Ooh. you up. He doesn't pick you up either. He leaves you laying there. Ooh. And you lay there for what seems like a month. <laughs> Booker comes into the match picks you up and throws you out. Uh, 
you were only in the match for two minutes and 12 seconds. And most of it was laying there and selling the pedigree. What year was this? So this was 2002. So I believe this might have also been the same Royal Rumble where Triple H won. Like he returned and won from his quad. Yeah, he returned from his quad injury and won. Won the whole thing. So um, the question that Chris has is, what do you think about having to sell the pedigree for so long while you were still very fresh in the match and the quick elimination? Do you remember this? I don't remember it, so I'm not going to be able to tell you how I felt at that time. Mm -hmm. But pulling from a a memory file reference of Hulk Hogan's Championship Celebrity Wrestling. Remember that stuff? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, but you reminded me of it, actually. So I did a, uh, a cameo on there, and... My job that day was to teach people the importance of a finishing move. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I taught the class of celebrities, and if you weren't listening, we were talking about this uh, recently. We had, um, I think we're alone now. Tiffany. Oh. We had Tiffany. We had uh, Screech from Saved by the Bell. Diamond. Dennis Rodman, yeah, and yeah, um, what's his? Danny uh, Bonaducci from the Partridge Family. Thank you, yeah, Butterbean. Butterbean. Um, I think there might have been another female too. Um, Todd Gary Bridges. Coleman? Was Gary Coleman what? on that? No, Todd Bridges was the other, oh. the other drumming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but I was teaching them the importance of a finishing move. And I was uh, saying, you know, um, with, with, with the psychology of it, the finishing move is like the the end all. And I said, think of it like like you're playing a video game. And if the player is able to hit their finishing move um, and, and drop it in like any time during the match, boom, game over. Yeah. Um, with, with that in mind, um that's that's how it should be, and I and I've seen a lot of matches where you know, say Jake the Snake will get thrown around, thrown around, thrown around, but boom, nail that DDT, and you just knew it was over. You know, cover him. Same thing uh, with the uh, with the Van Daminator. You know, um, as it, as it should be. You know, like if I hit you with a Van Daminator uh, and you don't stay the hell down, then uh, wrestling is lost attachment to its anchor and it was already stretched quite away from it uh, on a very expandable rope uh so i hate it when i watch wrestling and i see somebody do uh, uh i don't know say a finishing like um i don't know i don't know say brain buster boom and then the guy sells by standing up which i think is ridiculous then with the second one boom the guy stands up then with a super kick boom he doesn't go down instead he just turns let me tell you if i hit you with a with a kick you're gonna go down you know what i mean yeah that's the new age stuff that gets away from the 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 what I consider proper psychology and the foundation of the storytelling and the importance of the finishing move, you know? Yeah. I don't remember that exact Royal Rumble, uh, but man, I, I sure do hate that when I see somebody um, take, take a, uh, and you know what else, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine 
because I can do a really hard sidekick. You know what I mean? Yeah, from, yeah. from kickboxing, you know, like way before wrestling, kicking a heavy bag, kicking people that, that have a, a shield pad and they're holding it. And I'm trying my hardest to kick him and send them, you know, flying. And they're trying to like hold their weight. And that's, that's just something that you put your weight behind and, 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 and you got your, your whole ass and hip and, and leg strength to, to, to extend and the momentum and everything. And it's like to think that uh, some people just catch that with their hand, you know what I mean? Right. Makes me go every time. Like you're not gonna catch my uh, sidekick, you know. But then there's other. I mean, there's a hook kick. There's a. There's all kinds of uh, kicks that aren't thrown as hard. You're not always trying to kick as hard as you can. Sometimes you're trying to smack somebody in the face, and one of those you're gonna be more likely to um, to catch. But my point is, I think like it takes the importance out of the move. Absolutely, yeah. Effectiveness. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I even look at if you're even just talking like a, I know you're talking sidekicks, but even if you're talking like a simple super kick, I remember how devastating that would have been watching when I was like in the attitude era. And nowadays, boom, boom, everything you have to kick like 40 of them and it's not a finishing move anymore. Yeah, right. And it's such a powerful kick too. like if yeah. you're in the martial arts class and you get a chance to, to do a, a kick like that, a super kick. If, they won't call it that in the uh, dojo, but, um, you know, on a heavy bag and, and really learn how to put your weight and strength power behind it. It's like, it's an awesome, uh, it's an awesome move to, to waste, you know? And yeah. instead, you know, so you take a move that's like really effective and then you uh, crush it by taking its effectiveness out. And then at the same time, you take a move that everybody can imagine. It probably stings a little like getting hit with a, uh, a pie pan <laughs> and then you want to take that out there and make a match out of it. Yeah. Know? It's like, same thing with the DDT too. You mentioned Jake and it's just like, boom, once he hit that, boom, it's over. It's over. Yeah. Yep. Now it's, it's a setup move. If that sometimes that's yeah, that's the, uh, you know, it's evolved a little, um, but you know, we, in the right way, I don't know, but, but, I, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. That's the importance of a uh, finishing move. And, and so, like, I don't remember how long I was there, but I do remember sometimes it seeming like forever when I had to uh, get stay out of the way. But that was more what I remember is, like, sometimes I would have a, a match and then something would happen. Maybe someone's running in and leaving everybody laying or something. Something where I'm on the floor outside <clears throat> And then they're in the ring giving a promo and you're outside and you're just like, Oh my God, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like trying to, like, I don't want to give, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I get an angle and look at the Titan Tron, you know, and watch that and judge by that. Um, otherwise, you know, if the fans are like, uh, dude, are you dead? It's like, uh, <laughs> just tell me when it's over, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. Jeez. <laughs> All right, so wait, wait for the commercial break. Sometimes uh -huh. everyone's supposed to forget about you. Screw that you just worked your ass off and had a great match, and everyone in the crowd had us RVD sign. Forget about that. We want we want the big heel to come down and, and, and be remembered for this moment. So wait till we go dark, and then crawl your ass back to the dressing room. Crawl back. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, so your first match with Triple H took place in a tag match on Raw on September 2nd, 2002, audition of, edition of Raw. 
You teamed with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, to defeat uh, Triple H and Chris Jericho when you pinned Triple H with the five-star Frog Splash. Any memories of this tag match by chance? I pinned Triple H? You pinned Triple H with the five-star oh. Frog Splash. Yeah. Yeah, well, of course I remember that one. Yeah. Um, no, what was the tag team? So it was you and Ric Flair versus uh, Triple H and Chris Jericho. No memories whatsoever of that one, I'm afraid. Do you remember ever Taglet Flair or anything like that? If there was another time by chance? I don't remember. I don't remember tagging with Flair. Yeah. That, like, because I was going to ask. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that one up and Me jar, my, jar my memory. That's not a, it's a hell of a thing to forget, huh? Yeah. Because I think at the time, too, uh, this is around the time where he might have been like the raw GM or they were having that storyline or the, maybe a little bit after he's starting to get a little more active as a, as a babyface adversary of Vince McMahon, I think. But, yeah, that's been pretty cool to see. I don't have to go I'm thinking that I might have I might have been having um, backstage um, political drama, possibly, you know. Oh, like, I don't remember that for sure, but thinking about the timing and the players that you're mentioning, um, I can imagine that maybe my mind was more just trying to get through that match and uh, and and probably through the night. And so maybe that's why I don't remember it as well. I, I'm, I, I mean, if I had to, I don't know for sure, you know, but I'm speculating but I, I would say there's a really good chance of that, remembering yeah. remembering how that time period was for me. Well, I bet it was pretty rocky, too. Like, imagining you getting in there, just starting off, and then, yeah, all the different players in the game at that point, too. It's like, that's a lot, a lot to keep track of. And everybody wanted to kind of, like, change me or give me advice or whatever, and I was really stubborn, you know, against it. So yeah, yeah. That made it hard, too. All right, so well, let's see if you remember this one here. Your first singles match against Triple H took place on September 8th at a house show. I don't know if you will remember this. I uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It was for the world title, and Triple H won the match. Any well, any memories of that recollection? I, I know that's not true because I've never been in the state of Iowa. Oh, really? I'm no, I'm just joking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a lot of Iowa fans will be like, what? Oh, Come on. not a Hawkeye oh, fan? <laughs> <laughs> no. No offense, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, I, I don't recall that match, man. That was a long time how ago. Shows, too. I mean, like, how many have you had? That's, like, that's a lot to keep track of. Well, let's see here. Okay, so apparently then you won a fatal four-way match on Raw against Big Show, Chris Jericho, and Jeff Hardy, which gave you a world title shot against Triple H at Unforgiven 2002. You were the Intercontinental Champion at the so there was a chance you could be double champion at Unforgiven. However, uh, well, on the September 16th Raw, you and Triple H had a face-to-face -face confrontation in the ring. You told him, I remember this. When I was reading these I notes, I was like, I remember was this moment. Um, Triple H had a face-to-face -face confrontation. Uh, you had, had one with him in the, on Raw. You told him that you admire his abilities, and you said you have proven time and time again that, brother, you can spit some water. Yes. Mm-hmm. Classic moment. Classic moment. And then you <laughs> called him Mr. Muscle and Fitness and says how he waits for that cue in the music. Then you mocked how he spits the water. Then you said how impressed you are by that. And you told him that takes talent. Then Triple H said 
that you won't amount to a damn thing in this business, then he said you are not championship material and that you won't ever be a world champion. He then tried to kick you, but you caught his leg and did a step over roundhouse kick to his Whoa. face and left the Eat ring. that. Eat that. What are you going to do about that, H? Eat that size 12. The edge. Laying the smack down. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Any memories of that going on? And uh, you changed it? Uh <laughs> Um, I remember you saying the, the, the water spitting thing. I do remember. Yeah, that. I think if we, I think if we were to play that video back, I suspect my voice was different. Before I had the uh, pot damaged voice. That, oh, I thought it was uh, because all the cigarettes you smoked changed. Smoke. Yeah, and then um, cardio. If you watch that video, right? Yeah, let's have a. No, never mind. I if we held him accountable, you know, to, we would challenge him to. Uh, uh, I used to hold my breath forever, but I don't want to get into that. Um, we can this, do that on a live this, YouTube. To, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have a feeling I would. I, I would say like, you sure can spit some water. You sure can spit that water. That's how my voice sounds to me when I look at uh, ECW videos. <laughs> you were saying that like you were, when you were cutting a promo on Scotty. Scotty you're going to get a Van Terminator. You're going to, yeah, that's how my voice used to sound. Hey, for that, for that dude that's never heard a wrestler voice, mm -hmm. um, do me a favor. Just look at El Snow's uh, YouTube uh, or him being interviewed in the last couple of years. Listen to El Snow's voice and tell me how much pot you think uh, El Snow smoked in his career. <laughs> Have you heard El lately? He's rough, dude. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. He wasn't like that. Like just, uh, I think like six, seven years ago, he wasn't like that. That, <laughs> that, that came as of late. Yeah. Yeah. He, He's uh, rough. He, that, that's how he said. Yeah. Just turned 60, I know. I saw on. on uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, his voice. Like I, just like a few months ago, I heard him somewhere, and I was like, "Whoa, Evan L's <laughs> voice!" And now, now I'm already used to it. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So apparently, then later on that show, you lost your intercontinental belt to Chris. Oh Brown. man! I thought you were gonna, with the help from Triple H, though. So he, he Chris Jericho, had some help. So a lot of the fans thought, "Well, you lost the intercontinental title belt, so now that means you have to win the world title." Oh yeah, that's so. I mean, that's how a fan would think. That's what I would have thought. And then, so heading into the match, you and Triple H had a face-to-face -face confrontation in the ring on Raw. Again, you called him Mister Muscle and Fitness. Mocked his. I ain't scared of him. You ain't scared of him. I ain't scared of him. You got in the stance he do, and so then that brings you to Unforgiven. It took place on September twenty-second, two thousand two, from the Staples Center, home of the Lakers, Los Angeles, California. You get your singles match for the world title on a pay-per-view as you challenge Triple H. Did doing this, like this world title match, it, it kind of hold significance to you at all? Like just being in that kind of element and knowing that you're in a huge program starting off like this? And at the Staples Center. Nonetheless, I guess. Um, Ric Flair was with him, right? Ring said? Um, I don't think so. Because I think this is earlier on before they started the evolution thing. So hmm. I think... I think this is before, like, this is, so I'm trying to line this up here. September 20, no, it might have been. Eh? You might be right, Rob, because this is later on in 2002. So this is by the time Triple H is back in the fold of everything. So I Yeah, think I think I do remember the match, and I think uh, Ric Flair was uh, at ringside 
mm-hmm. with them. And it's very possible that 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 night that we um, <clears throat> hmm. let me think of the let me think of how I want to put this since I can't back out of this now. <clears throat> it's very possible that some stuff that nobody knows about that happened <clears throat> could have possibly affected uh, the rest of my career there. Oh, that's how I remember that match. Really. Wow. So yeah, it's like trajectory kind of changed thing there. Um it had to do with the discussion after the match. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow, okay. Well, I guess this kind of leads into another question where you feel free to go in how much detail you want or how much you don't, but how are you and Triple H getting along at this time? Now? No, two thousand two, back in the two thousand two time. Do you remember? Um I felt like I felt like um, some resentment because I was told that he was anti-RVD in the uh, business meetings, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the agents and everything, and um, and so you know I took that personally, and then um, also I felt that. There was some, uh, I thought there was some heat there that was building up and that this was um, about the peak of it. Mm-hmm. Um, was it, do you I, felt, think- I, felt, I felt that he was a lot of times like, um, I don't want to say pretentious, but um, I felt like a lot of times that he would, I felt like he would treat me in a way that was, uh, um, tongue-in-cheek disrespectful where he thought he was going over my head but he wasn't yeah i had like a build-up of that and stuff so that's that's also how i remember everything that i come in together right there at the staples center at the staples center kobe bryant's watching kobe and shaq both at the time were they there probably i don't know the match started off one of them was i think one of them was really arnold schwarzenegger oh that's sweet jeez Man, yeah, I, I don't know if it was in the suite or if it was down below. <laughs> oh. I know he showed up on SmackDown like 2000. Back in 2000, he made an impact. All right. So the match started off differently than most of your other matches. You worked a headlock for quite a while. You even yelled at the crowd a few times, which was unlike you. Whereas anybody kind of telling you to be a little bit more like, I don't know, kind of like personality-wise different in the ring at this point or anything? Or was there... I have no idea. I don't know. Probably, you know, because like I said, I know I was frustrated at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of people. It felt like people weren't letting me just be me. Mm-hmm. I remember having that feeling, you know, and, and then taking that as insulting and taking that as competitive value. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. No, that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right too, Rob, because as I'm reading these notes, Ric Flair was there. And so, because uh, Chris goes into the detail of the match. As the match went on, Triple H, <clears throat> excuse me, attempted a pedigree, but you countered the move and hit a five-star. You then checked on the down referee. Triple H low-blowed you that slime ball and attempted, I just added that, uh, and attempted to hit you with the sledgehammer, but you hit a Van Daminator on it. Flair. 
came down and picked up the sledgehammer. Did I vandaminate the sledgehammer? That's what I was wondering. Um, no, it doesn't look like you did. I think you wait attempted to hit you. That's what I'm wondering. Did you hit Van? Do you remember doing that? No, but I remember Charles Robinson was our referee. Like, there's a there's a very special night. Let's put it that way. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so then one for the book. (laughs) Yep, by the book. Flair came down and picked up the sledgehammer, making it seem like he was going to hit Triple H, but he hit you in the stomach. Okay, so this was like a heel turn, it sounds Maybe like. Maybe I vandaminated the sledgehammer. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Maybe a very big target, but I don't know. You know, mm. if I... Triple H then hit you with pedigree for the pin. All right. Damn it. Son of a beasting. Well, I mean, you kind of already talked about it. What were your memories of the match, and how do you think it went? Um, yeah, uh, I think it was a good match. I think I caught him with a kick or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always, I've always had great matches with him, and yeah. uh, he's very comfortable in the ring. He knows where he's at in the perceived story at any point. So he's someone that you can hold accountable for being there for you and uh, times when you need it. Like, so uh, also he's always has great ideas and he knows what the crowd will react to and stuff, you know? So yeah. Yes. I've ever had a bad match with him. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, there yeah. You go. I remember working, working on um, my three sixty drop kick with him, you know, it's like, I was always like once in a while, coming up with a new move or whatever and i was like does anyone even notice when i do it because like joey styles would notice and he would call it out you know if i added a little twist or or something instead of doing a roll thunder i do a rolling splash or a rolling 360 leg whatever it was he would call it i did a few times with wwe and then i was like i don't think they're gonna know i think no matter what i do it's always just gonna be called uh um a leg drop or something or rolling thunder is a rolling thunder yeah, or a roundhouse kick with those educated feet, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember, like, I like doing the, um, like, I would duck under Triple H's uh, clothesline, and uh, instead of doing a spinning back kick, you know, put my feet together and do a um, a spinning, like, leg drop. Uh, I'm sorry, drop kick. So I haven't seen someone else do that. I still don't know if someone else is doing that or not, but I still, you know, like to do that. But I remember putting that together uh, and and – I don't know if I've done it, if I'd never done it before um, or what, but I remember doing it um, when it was new and I was working on my timing and shit, you know, with him. Like, I'm going to try not to kick him in the face real hard. Bam! I don't think that was too bad. (laughs) (laughs) That was not bad. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, like, you know, incorporating stuff in in, in your style and everything or whether it's – he's pretty accommodating when it comes to that, you found? Like when it comes to – not just you, but, I mean, just people, other wrestlers in general. Does he have that kind of reputation? I would think as much yay as nay. Mm -hmm. Yay or nay. So kind of middle road of the thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Could be sometimes, could be not sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this would pretty much end your brief feud with Triple H. You guys would wrestle a few more times in singles and tag matches on Raw and house shows, but never again in a singles match on a pay-per-view. However, 
in November at Survivor Series, you both were a part of the first uh, ever Elimination Chamber match for Triple H's world title. Also in the match with Shawn Michaels, Kane, Chris Jericho, and Booker T. What were your thoughts going into this match? Is it being like a new concept and everything like that? Were you kind of looking forward to experiment and seeing what you can kind of do in there? I was, and we were specifically told to do that. You know, yeah, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it was that told us in the daytime. But they said, you know, this is the first uh, time we're trying this. You know, you guys, if you can, you know, take a look, maybe get up in there, um, walk around or whatever, see any ideas that you, you might come up with on how we can uh, utilize this cage, you know, trying to, uh, um, you know, because whatever you say it is, that's what it is. It's our first time. And so we were we were told that. And I was like, wow, I well, I love being creative. Yeah. 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 This is make, making the most of it. All right. So you and Triple H started the match against each other. Later in the match, you went to the top of a pod and did the frog splash, but you didn't have enough room to jump high, and you came down and crushed Triple H's larynx. What are your memories? Now, I remember, so before we started recording here, I did read an article about how you said, like, you felt really, really bad about all that stuff happening. And um, but like and then Triple H even commented too. He, he could he was saying that he could see visually how like you didn't have the room and like it was kind of like a little he could sense that it was not going to execute very well from from his perspective, too. So uh, do you have any added memories of that or anything that you want to add to that? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, the idea was presented to me. It wasn't mine, mm -hmm. uh, but I thought no problem that sounds cool should be no problem but when i was up there i was way uncomfortable it wasn't like i was up there like oh i got this and then just misjudged i was up there and i was like okay first off i don't know how much spring to put into it uh because there's no bounce on the on the cage on what i'm jumping off of and i couldn't stand straight up i bent over because uh the the ceiling and, and so that fucked me up too yeah and so i'm like i don't know if i should just like drop down or if i should like uh, jump out and if i do jump out am i gonna arch and then land actually with a little distance because i'm up higher so i remember being up there and i felt like wow you know this is like this is like do or die like i'm committed uh i didn't feel comfortable but I, when I jumped, I thought I was, you know, obviously I wouldn't have jumped unless I thought like, uh, you know, I, I, I think I got this. You know, I feel like I feel like um, I'm going to make my the, the, the best of it. And I, and I guess I should have just dropped straight down and uh, and I, you know, gave a little bit of a jump out. So when I came down, my shin went across his uh, his throat and uh, um, I didn't know right away that it was hurt. I don't remember exactly when I knew, but. I think it crushes larynx, so it's yeah. pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah, cool. and I remember, too, afterwards, like, you know, obviously you finished the match and all that stuff, but, geez, that's got to be tough to kind of... Old school. Old school that's kind of stuff. Old school mm -hmm. mentality, finished the match, and then and then I heard he took an ambulance ride later, and I was, I think I was surprised, you know, and felt bad. It also felt like I was going to get in trouble, too. Yeah, you know? I can imagine, like, yeah, both those aspects going running through your head. Yeah. Um, so did you ever hear that he didn't want to work another pay-per-view with you or anything like that after the fact or anything? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, so Tommy Dreamer has said that when he was on a, the booking committee, they were discussing a, an opponent for Triple H at WrestleMania 19 in 2003, and Tommy brought your name up, and Triple H said that you weren't over enough. 
Booker T ended up getting that match. Uh, that was obviously a, a wild statement, as you were one of the most over guys in the company at the time. You've been asked this a lot of the years, but did you feel that you it, he went on a personal vendetta against you to keep over the years to keep you out of the world title picture? Uh, the match we just talked about with him took place in 2002, and you wouldn't be back in the world title picture until you know 2006 when you, when you did it on your own terms. Uh, so yeah, talk about your interaction with Triple H uh, as you went over the years. Right. Yeah, so so at the time it did feel like a personal vendetta. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you know, I look at that as I was stuck in that competitive state of mind, thinking of him more as being one of the boys. Anytime you're one of the boys and you're in the office, you're in a, a hot position where the boys are going to look at you, you know, as if you're biased for some reason, putting yourself over, you know, yeah. why would you want to do that? But, um, but now looking at the bigger picture, what if he wasn't one of the boys and he was just another suit and tie and had those same feelings? Then would I hold it against him? Or would I say like, well, you know, that's, he's obviously not one of my fans, I guess, but he doesn't think I'm over enough to main event. Was it main event WrestleMania? That was, so it wasn't the main event, like the last oh. match of the show. He, I think they wrestled like, yeah. I can't remember where on the card, but it wasn't the final match of the show. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if I'm asked, do I feel like uh, he kept kept me, held me back or kept me down? I guess that's evident, the, the evidence right there. Mm -hmm. um, if that's, if that's how, how the, jury was wavered but um also he had a right you know to have his opinion um and his judgment and he sat in that position in the office so so i i didn't used to be able to give him credit for that you know what i mean and now i do and look what he's done you know now he's running everything so obviously you know you can't say he didn't know what he was uh doing or talking about but right, right. But, but yeah i mean i do feel if it was instead of him if it was somebody else maybe it was pro rvd then i think a lot of things probably would have been different yeah sure because tommy would tell me that stuff too mm -hmm. tommy would tell me that stuff back then you know so of course i looked at it you know with an even more stubborn view of you know competitiveness you know and trying to find ways to handle it um, that are unbusiness-like. Well, yeah, I mean, the competitive nature of it going on at the same time, and it's a very different dynamic and everything, is that definitely adds to it. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, as he gained more powers over the years, what was your interactions with him like at that point? In like when kind of developing on, I guess, like, you know, even in your return, I guess, and anything like that is – how was your dynamic with him, like, as the years progressed, I suppose? Um, I think just just better and better, you know. Like, I remember when I did my return, uh, everyone had told me, he's running stuff now in 2013, and you got to call him and, and talk to him, you know, before uh, you get on a schedule and stuff, and that's the way it works. And so that was a, a big uh, change in, in stuff. Um, the 2013 run went really well, um, but he's always since then just treated me with respect. And even before, like a like to my face, I think he was mostly respectful. It's just that I kind of felt, you know, when when we were in that again, when you're in the game, 
Well, yeah, <laughs> when you're in the game, I always felt like, even though he was treating me respectful, I felt like it was kind of like uh, backhanded. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like he never would have said something insulting or deliberately, but you know, maybe something like, uh, Oh, Hey, um, glad you could join us, Rob. Um, when everyone's already going, everyone's already been talking about the six man match and I've been avoiding it for, you know, (laughs) long as I could till everyone said they need you down by the ring. And then 20 minutes into, into it, you know, I'm walking real slow. And then I got there. He would say, Hey, Oh, Hey, glad, glad you could join us, Rob. Um, you know, um, you, Need something to munch on, or are you good? Okay. Um, you know, he'd say little things like that, and I'd be like, "Hey, I know hey, what you did. <laughs> I know you, what you did. I'm gonna remember that." Yeah, it was more. Um, but yeah, just you know, more and more of that, less of that, you know. And like when I see him at the Hall of Fames now and stuff, it's, you know, it's just, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you see him, when you see the WWE product, not that like you're always watching or anything, but do you see certain elements of his kind of what his thought process or psychology or philosophy, I guess, for lack of better words is on the television product as it gets, as you, as you watch it, when you see it. Um, like you're like, Oh, that's, that's kind of triple H's fingerprints. I can tell or that's something that he would definitely be into that. It makes sense. Uh, no, no, I don't, I, I, I don't think I've seen and identified that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, what do you think his legacy overall is in wrestling right now? Like as Triple H. Well, shit. He, I mean, if you really think about what he's done as far as ascending in this industry, he's made it higher than any of the boys ever. Unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so he went from paying tuition. I, Suppose to Walter Kowalski and Melton, Massachusetts, back in ninety or ninety-one, and he went through all of his years of learning and making the right moves and stuff to where he's running the WWE. Like, dude, uh, I think uh, I think that's pretty fucking <laughs> remarkable, yeah. you know. And so, like, I think he goes down as uh, uh, he goes down as that example of of success and what could be achievable. Absolutely, you know? believe yourself. That's right. You talk about the American Dream, Daddy. Nate's <laughs> got that. <laughs> Real, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, that's a hell of a run. He's <laughs> he's still going from terrorizing to. Triple H, the game to a creative CEO or whatever his title is. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and again, I mean, when you say, when, when someone asks, like, what is your legacy? You, is, you said that's like what, the, what, the, what they'll be remembered for, right? I think so. When I think of legacy, that's kind of what I think of. Like, okay, what? Yeah. If you're looking back as a fan or even just as like a historian, like, what did this person mean to the industry? I yeah. Legacy. You know? Yeah, so, man, he went um, through it all from the bottom to the top, the traditional route, and ended up taking over, running everything, and probably making an unprecedented amount of money at it, too. So um, I think that's a pretty damn good success story. And what he's done to the industry is, uh, 
you know, he's he's not just taking it over, but he's continuing it in a time right now when it seems like we need somebody with credibility to, to grab the reins, you know? Uh, absolutely. Like you see about like potential for it to get out of hand. Like you, it's kind of comforting in a, in a way for a fan to realize like, well, Triple H, he was trained by Killer Kowalski. He went through the rankings and all that stuff where he's got the knowledge in the background where he has respect and a love for the business that is there. And it's good to have him, somebody like him at the top of it, like kind of, you know, being a mind for it. So, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Pretty wow. solid foundation he built, you know. He didn't he didn't just walk into uh the into the executive office and say I'm taking over. Yeah, no, they definitely put the time and work and effort into it. So um cool, Rob. Well, we've been going pretty long. Um only thing I'll maybe we'll just do one ask R V D question this week, and then we'll get to the that was, yeah, there was some decent ones I saw on Twitter today. There were some good ones. Let me see what I which one do I want to go with? Yeah. Oh, here's a pretty cool one. And I wasn't really aware of this, too. That you were on X-Files. My wife, Lindsay Schoen, is a huge X-Files fan. Did you have memories or stories from being on the show playing the character Death Angel? She'd love to add your autograph to her I Want to Believe poster next time you're in the UK. <laughs> so I also have a picture of you in FX and the X-Files. So, and I also saw you had a, like a Zorro look going on too at the time. Do you, what yeah. were your memories of that? <laughs> uh, um, this guy was in like something, something to Arizona. Who? Um, Amazing Arizona? No, I'm sorry. Um, hold on. Let me start over. Mm-hmm. The guy that I'm wrestling with. Uh, he's a fighter, you know, actor, Randall Tex Cobb. Um, he's, he's also an actor raising Arizona. Do you know that yeah, movie? Raising Arizona. Yep. I think he's a, bon- a biker, he's a bounty right? hunter in that or something. He's like a bounty hunter biker kind of yeah. dude. Almost like, yeah, I don't think I've seen the whole movie, but yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Part yeah. I remember him. When you said that, I was like, yes, I can definitely identify that. Yeah. And uh, cool dude because you know he's like one of the boys. I don't know if he was a boxer or a kickboxer. Uh, he was a bit punch drunk, you know, as we used to call it. Um, I can't remember what style that he that he. I kind of think he might have been a kickboxer, but uh, um, anyway, you know, you can look him up. Quite a quite a well known fella, you know. He was he's he had uh, earned his fame working hard and so anyway he's the main guest star and i'm just like in there wrestling with him and uh (laughs) and uh there's a scene where in the ring Uh and uh he has a uh a twin brother in the storyline that's going to walk into the arena and while he's wrestling with me he looks up and he sees his brother in the in the bleachers. Uh-huh. It's like, and he hadn't seen him, I don't know, since they were little or whatever, but he recognizes them. Can't remember exactly the storyline, something to do with clones or brothers or something, but it totally, you know, takes his mind off the match. And uh, he, boom, he wants to go after, after his brother. 
and I am to, you know, grab him and bring him back, you know, and like wrestle him and stuff. He's trying to get away to go after. He hates his brother for some reason. I can't remember why, but he wants to kill him. And any, <laughs> anyway, um, the so when when we go to um, shoot this scene, uh, we talk. Oh, oh, oh. shit. Okay. You're good. Hey. All right. We needed one. We needed one this time. That was scary. I thought I had more liquid up here. Oh shit! You spilled something too. Yeah. See, you got me doing these, these Billy Jack hook kicks. You're right. You just keep your foot there. (laughs) 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 Um. So you were shooting the scene when you. Yeah, and then and then like um. And, you know, boom, he's going to try and get him, and then I'm going to catch him. He's going to try and, like, dive through the ropes to get him. Man, that dude was so committed. Um, he wasn't he wasn't holding back at all. And it was like, uh, it was like action. And I have him. I think I have him in uh, that uh, toehold where I marched back. And yes, I saw know. a picture. Mm-hmm. So I have him, like, in that move so that, so that uh, so he can see. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he sees them, and then, like, when he gets away, I got to, you know, uh, you know kind of undo my foot and, and and roll around to recover my foundation so I can go to get him or whatever. And they go, action! And, and, and he looks, and all of a sudden, like, boom! Like, he took off so quick, so quick. He dove through the ropes, <laughs> and, and there's a gurney. Down there, just like they normally would be at ringside, like with ECW with a stretcher, and he dove through the ropes, and I barely like caught his foot, and then and then he just went bam, like face down under the gurney, boom, and it like flipped up, and he fell on the ground on the cement, <laughs> and I couldn't pull him back into the ring from there. So, <laughs> so the first take, uh, the first take was. Uh, was a, it wasn't good. We had to redo that one. And I was just like, bro, you're really going for it. Holy you're going, crap, you're going. Method acting in a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Take it easy, brother. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. I felt bad, though, because I think he gigged, too. He was bleeding from his head somewhere after taking that bump through the gurney onto the floor. Jeez. Pretty yeah. fun experience, though, for you? Yes. Yeah. It was. It was cool. It was one of those things where – for some reason, the director is filling up my head with all this work we're going to be doing together, you know, and never heard from him. Yeah. That's happened a lot, you know, where they're like, oh, wow, and you live in L.A.? Wow, yeah, that's great. I could use someone like you. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll exchange numbers. And I don't know why, but I, I guess that's part of the industry. That sounds like show business. Yeah. Sounds like it. That's why I, I don't, you know, now, like, no matter what somebody tells me, you know, someone could be like uh, – yeah, we're doing an action movie, you know, based on your life. It's a eight billion dollar project. I'd be like, all right, that's cool. Let me yep. uh, give me, let me know, let me know what's going. Uh, yeah, keep me posted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, Rob. Hey, thanks for sending in questions, guys. We're gonna, I'll be sure to get more in. Uh, but if you want to, hit, use the hashtag AskRVD. Go on Twitter. Go on Instagram. Go on any social media platform and see what I'll be able. I'll try to look it up if you're there. So. But we'll add it to the docket here. We got a, we got some good ones going on. So cool. And by the way, uh, this is this is where you find it. I, someone in the yeah. question said, uh, "How do I watch the show and it's old? These clips are too short." Dude, it yeah. says right there, right in the center right of the screen, there. sir. 
right there every so, Friday at 4:20 p.m. on Premier Streaming Network. I like the way some of them are cut, though. Uh, like on the Taz episode, is that you or YouTube, Chris? The, That's the, me. I cut them. Be like, what happened? Uh, <laughs> you were telling like a, a story of the buildup with me and Taz, and then I'm like. And that was just, I mean, and then it, that was just like the first time. And then what happened? And then cut. Boom. Yeah. Cliffhanger. Good stuff, dude. Thanks. You got to leave them wanting more. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what happened. Cliffhangers, baby. I've watched a lot of Stallone in my day. So, all right, Rob, it is time to wrap it up. And that means it is time for RVDology. So if you have some, enlighten one up because Rob's going to lighten you up. Uh, he yeah. enlightened me very much so last week with competition and competitiveness. Uh, this is one that I'm going to have to hone my skills over for quite some time because I am very competitive when it comes to certain things. And like when you were saying too, like when you're in that mode and you, uh, it's almost like a restlessness. It can be restlessness for some people, but it's also like when you're in that mode, it's kind of like you're there, you're in the element. And I kind of feel like that in my profession of like, Hey, I want to be the best wrestling writer I could possibly be, and and like uh, then I start trying to measure up to other people or what what other people in my industry are kind of doing and what I want to be doing ultimately and certain things like that, and then it's just like you kind of be like to think about it and put it in your small little accomplishments throughout the day is what I need to be more conscientious of is like hey the little wins of that you do and then measuring up to people it doesn't necessarily matter because everybody's on their own path so uh, it's very much like. Yes, very true. It's very true. So it's like, I can't be worried about what this person's doing because that's their journey. That's not my journey. My journey is going to be different and whatever happens kind of happens. And, you know, you just make the little wins. So, Rob, that I, I that was my favorite RVology I think we had last week. Awesome. Yeah, man. So it's going to be a learning process for me, but I'm I'm up for the challenge. I like it. So Cool. Yeah, I was, you know, I was just thinking because uh, I had to ask you about this subject if we already talked about it, couldn't remember. But eventually, and, and there's still plenty of values that I live by that, that I will share. But sometimes they're worth going back and hitting again, you know, because uh, you're not going to catch me being inconsistent with with what I say, especially when I'm talking about the values that I live by. And that's part of being accountable, which is what I want to talk about today. Yeah. Um, but but first off, <clears throat> yeah, first off, when it comes to Barbie, it's Barbie-esque. Yes. We got the Barbie-esque. Katie took me to the Barbie movie uh, last night, and it was actually entertaining. But the Barbie party did not happen. That was way over-promoted. So many disappointed girls showed up and pink Barbie outfits and stuff because they were supposed to have a party and prizes and souvenirs and uh, there wasn't any of that. We got a little pin and she got on Instagram to see what the other theaters did and some of them had some of the promise stuff or one I guess each theater had like one item or something. But anyway I actually enjoyed the movie and uh, when we're talking about what you were just talking about, you know, just the whole um, uh uh, yeah, the whole yeah, the whole and, and, and you know, and I said this last week. Like, it, it, if that works for you, that's great. You know, um, it's it's these are just my values. You know, and I and I think, and I'm here to tell you, it's okay with me <laughs> if you don't necessarily want to be 
the best basketball player in your school yes. or you're the fastest runner or the best singer or, you know, the best at math, whatever, like all of that, they encourage you. But I really just believe in uh, being your best and working on improving yourself. Just like uh, you were saying, Dominic, as far as uh, um, how, how did you put it? Um, damn it. Little wins? Like <laughs> no, uh, no, you were just saying, well, anyway. Your um, journey, other people's journeys. Thank you. Yeah, everyone's on their own path. And 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 I, I just, you know, not even that long ago learned a lot more about this because uh, sometimes I would be jealous, you know, and I tell people like people that really have people that have projects and they really want it to happen when they want it to happen. Uh, whether they need money for a movie or whether they need uh, to get uh, hired uh, before this, whatever it is, it's like you can't rush things. And, and then you come across with this like desperate vibe and a lot of, and, and then, and the whole thing is a bad experience and it's all like being a uh, uh, competitive. And so like, you won't be surprised to know that I'm passive, relax, let things happen, accept things that happen. Um, and so, you know, I don't know why every kid has to be put through every, a little taste of every single piece of life. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I'm, yeah. I, I, and, you know, as far as a educational institution, I, I haven't looked at it to really go at it with it. But yeah, I mean, if you if you're in school and you're feeling not good about yourself because the other kids are saying that uh, you look fat in the swimming lessons and you don't want to swim anyway, then, dude, I don't know what that's about. You know, I think that's I think that's crazy. But anyway, uh, some things you will want to excel at and you'll be better at some things than you are at other things. You know, you, you have affinities, but um, let it happen relax sometimes just be on your path be, be happy for other people in their paths too and um before i wouldn't you know like if somebody was like trying to get some of my friends number you know for a part in a movie i'd be like well why not me why why do you want his number you know like part of my ego would be doing that and now it's like yeah cool dude yeah he'd be perfect for that you know i don't i don't care and it's like so comfortable so fulfilling having that talking about accountability though um so when you're accountable, it means that people can, can count on you. Um, and it's a very respectable quality to have. Not everybody has it. Some people are very unreliable, which would be pretty much the opposite of being accountable. You know, um, if, uh, <clears throat> if you give me the keys to your car uh, and you think I'm accountable, which, by the way, you can hold me accountable for it. You know, certain business arrangements or positions in life mandate that you are accountable. You know what I mean? Hey, you brought those guys in here. You're accountable for them. If they fuck up, it's on you. Sometimes that's the way that it works. But you got to at least be accountable for yourself. And a lot of people aren't. They'll say something. And then if you question them on it, they don't care. They'll just say they didn't say it or just move on. No accountability whatsoever. I realized now with social media, I think I had a breakthrough because I think I realized the difference between me posting things on there and the 
other people that are just uh, the the you the, the 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 Twitter the Twitterers that are more comfortable with growing up with this stage of unaccountability. See, I'm famous, so when I put something out on Twitter, Twitter, I look at it like it's a public posting. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I got like a million followers. Something it stopped counting a long time ago. I don't know why it does that, but and it follows people randomly on its own. But anyway, um, I look at it like I'm going to be held accountable for whatever I say. I can't take it back. I would be canceled if I started saying uh, racial thoughts or some of the things that the other Twitterers are, uh, are are saying and are able to say. And I'm realizing that they're just not held accountable. That's why they don't care. For them, it's just a conversation, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mentioned this last week. One guy on YouTube was talking about the event where Sabu and I got busted uh, in Ohio with the marijuana. And the guy said, uh, man, those guys, those two guys, um, you know, what jerks, like the, the company's investing money in them and, and they can't even wait to get back to the hotel to smoke. Um, they deserve to lose their titles. So everything that he's mad at is misinformation. The weed was not being smoked. Uh, it was in a bag in the glove compartment. Nobody ever accused me of smoking it while I was driving. But the story broke down to this guy. But now that he said that, can we hold him accountable? No, because he's not going to give a fuck. You know what right. I mean? It's like, <laughs> and why would he? Because uh, nobody knows who he is. He can just like move on. Maybe he's got no followers or whatever. And I'm realizing that. Um, even like a social media format is is looked at differently like that. So any, anything that I say, I have to stand be behind what I say. And so a lot of what I say is um, uh, I'm sharing from my experience or my education uh, or whatever. You know, I put on there recently something about that I – spend hours a day watching uh, First Amendment auditors dealing with police. And then somebody said, uh, well, if you spend hours doing doing that, don't you think that's going to make you bias? And right away, I'm like, what evidence do you have that I'm not equally watching the other side and watching pro-police ones? Or, or, you know, why even? And I start thinking, like, why would you, you know, because RV theology tells us there's always a bigger picture and you only know a little bit about everything. But I realize it's just conversation for people. In a normal conversation, I could say that to you. Won't that make you biased? No, silly. I watch equal amount of this. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I wouldn't do that like in a public posting because I'm held accountable. So that's a big difference. <clears throat> Anything we write, it stays there forever. So you can always hold that against us. And I'm fine with that. I love it. Um, I'm a big fan of everybody filming everything. Mm -hmm. People get really pissed off having cameras on them. They incorrectly sometimes think that uh, it's a it's a crime, a federal crime to to film them when they're in public, and it's it's not. You don't have to have uh, somebody's right to film them in, in, in public, and the reason that I like 
everything being filmed is because I'm a firm believer in transparency. All right. So like, let's take uh, police for instance. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of people on this conversation on Twitter that I had, uh, they were complaining, you know, that, Oh, but the cops, you say to stand up for your rights, but the cops, they do whatever they want and they get away with it. I hear you, but the, the way to fight corruption is with transparency. That's what I believe, because if you have transparency, then you can have accountability. Yeah. How can you hold somebody accountable for something that nobody can prove? But if you actually see on video what they're doing, well, guess what? You can make a change. And uh, a lot of us believe in making changes or influencing in the right direction with things that we say. Obviously, I'm one of those people. That's another thing that makes me accountable. So um, Bret Hart let me stay at his house when I was in Hawaii. You know, uh, we weren't like best friends. Uh, that really meant a lot to me that he trusted me that much. He held me accountable. That means if I would have lit a joint up and burnt his place down, I would have taking the responsibility of saying, yes, uh, hold me accountable. What do, what do we got to do to fix this? That's being accountable. It's a respectable equal, uh, quality. It's admirable. It's something that you should strive for. If you think of yourself and you say, you know, I'm not accountable for shit. We probably don't share the same values. Being accountable is trustworthy. You want the keys to come into my house and watch my dogs while I'm out of town? Can I hold you accountable for any damage, anything that goes missing, any any suspicious claims that are brought up? Are you going to uh, be able to address those? Accountability. And uh, when you're someone in my position, you take that seriously. Pretty much anybody that's in a high-profile position should. They don't always. That's why you see stars getting busted, sending dick pics that are stupid. Uh, <laughs> because they don't know how to be famous. Why? Because they're basic thinkers still. They haven't learned yet. I have learned. And so um, that's why I am sharing it with you. So uh, be accountable. Heck yeah, man. Accountability is key. And like, that's another thing too. You want to progress in life. Say if you're just like working your way up, accountability helps with that, you know, and accountability. Yeah. Accountability. You know, think of it as many people can, can hold you responsible and rightfully so, because you can back it up. You know what I mean? You're going to take a loan out. Uh, you're going to borrow this much. You tell me you're going to pay, pay this much. Pay this much VIG a week, 5%, until you pay the teledon. Guess what? Going to hold you accountable to that. You know, mm -hmm. tell me you guarantee you're going to beat anybody else's prices on a, on a pizza. Guess what? You better, bro. If I find a cheaper pizza, holding you accountable, bro. Right. If I go to Domino's and <laughs> more than that, I'm, you better, you better just match that price or make it better for me. Accountability. If you don't have accountability, then that really means you don't have any credit. You, mm -hmm. you don't have any, you're not, you're not, your value <laughs> isn't worth the weight of anybody's trust or even materialistically, uh, 
you know, you're not able to, uh, to secure <laughs> a feeling of um, adequate responsibility. So, no, you ain't getting the keys to my car. Hell no. No way. I better tell somebody that before. Like, dude, no, you're not getting Why would you even think that, you know? And um, you, 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 you disappeared for like two weeks and, and it, it couldn't get hold of you. I just popped up. Tell me you're going to take the car. Hell no. Uh, you're not accountable. But you know what? The one thing all of us can do, you should be accountable for your own actions. Absolutely. If you said it, you said it. If you did it, you did it. Right? You mm -hmm. did it. You can be sorry about it. You can say you learned from it. You can say, hey, you can hold that against me, but I know now I grew from that. I don't feel the same as I did back then, but yeah, that's right. I peed in the bed. That was me. I took the, I took the whiz. I'm the wizard. <laughs> there we go. Shouldn't have been drinking that much when I was 12 years old. No, shouldn't have. I don't know. But anyway, dude, um, that's that's basically it for now. Let's uh, let's wrap it up with uh, accountability. Keep it in mind. Hold yourself accountable. Make it known to other people. Vibe, vibrate in accountability. Respectable, trustworthy vibration so people can respect you trust you with their shit not worry about you being around be accountable even for your actions you know hey you're going to behave in here right you said you're going to behave i'm holding you accountable to that if you said you're going to behave and you're going to act like a goofball then guess what boom you completely blew your credibility with me and i'm gonna smack you that's right and whoever promoted that Barbie movie, where they're gonna have all that good stuff, they should be held accountable. Exactly, that's what exactly what I told. Uh, and by the way, yeah, that that had a lot to do with the competitive uh, spirit. That's what I was thinking, and it didn't get around to it. Talking mm -hmm. about how Barbie set standards and how how um, all the movements against the, the standards that she, the pressure she put on girls to have to be good looking and have good. I mean, they covered all of that in like underneath the the storyline it was it was i thought it was great how they did it and i also thought it was very much you know coinciding with our ideology that we were just talking about because they had um all these different you know beautiful barbie fat barbie black barbie um status quo barbie it, it was you know a lot of them were like i said inside jokes that i didn't get that people laughed at but uh, because I didn't know all the different models that came out, but but I appreciated that underneath it, you know, the 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 fact that it was like the 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 takeaway was it's okay to just just be you, and that's what Barbie wanted to do, <laughs> right, baby? Yeah. <laughs> she just came in the room to get the. Was that your takeaway from the Barbie movie? Yeah, just be yourself. Yeah. You don't have to compete, you know. Sure. Anyway, mm -hmm. cool, cool, dude. Um, Good stuff. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Enjoyed it again, bro. Next week we'll talk about how you were glad that someone considered you accountable for your actions. For what I do. Yep. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. And uh, yes, we will see you next week. Rob, did you want to plug anything before we go? Anything we got? Uh, I don't think so. I didn't go anywhere since uh, I think Knoxville and. Uh, yeah, I said I just did stand up. I'm gonna put that on the nice, yeah. and, and I also just put Knoxville up on the YouTube also so you can look at those videos, 
try like to sneak them in between. Folks. What's that? Like and comment, folks. Yeah, man. Don't be afraid. I will look at the comments and read them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if I am so inspired, then I will comment back. Uh, and you can help hold me accountable for anything that I say that goes without saying because I'm famous. So anything I ever have said in 50 years can can all, you know, you got to hold me accountable for all of it. So that's why it's important for someone like me to, 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 to say the right things, to post the right things. And, and for other people, I get it now. I get it. For them, it's just conversation. Yep. Yep. The eyes more on you about it. Nobody gives a fuck what they say. They might attack them, get in a little bit of debate that turns into a personal insult right off the bat and then go sideways. But, um, yeah, there's no accountability. Why would there be? So I get I want to hold that one guy, though, about him saying that he could. he's got better cardio than you. I want to hold him accountable. We're going to find a way. Well, you know what? So he said he would have to see the lung report, and I'm definitely willing to do that. I actually – coincidentally want to show it as well and i and i just uh, went through looking for it and finding it yesterday and i'm going to have a guy uh translate for me first what it exactly says because i feel like it's uh, it's going to be more vague than i than i wanted it to be um but but anyway i'm totally willing to do that but you, um i think this guy should do the same so he i should. can you know mm-hmm. i want to see him race i want to see him run Let's see. Uh, does he have good cardio? Same thing I want to do. Uh, someday I want to get my IQ tested too. And then if anybody ever, you know, says that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, I'm going to be like, well, are you sure? Because this is my IQ. What are the chances are that you just don't understand it? Because you're stupid. <laughs> With two O's. <laughs> but yeah, hold me accountable for saying that uh, I got my uh, lungs x-rayed the doctor told me for a uh, non-smoker that they look normal and um there is some some uh detail on there that i'm gonna have uh translated for me and then i don't mind going open with it and but then what can i hold them accountable then like if it says normal 52 year old lungs for someone that doesn't smoke cigarettes then then where's the accountability on his side though you know what i mean that then what then they're just like we just won't talk about it again right right that's it no accountability bro accountability yeah we're got got listeners we're gonna hold you accountable for tuning in next week right here on one of a kind thanks dude thank you rob you're awesome I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication I was wasting my time, I got myself up out of the basement I faked it long enough to say I made it I was patient, I put up a fight I kept saying to myself, oh the future is bright I confronted everything that I was faced with And put it off another day
under the knife I tried to straighten 